0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast, presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, I am in love with Week Ten in the SEC. It is. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't want to say I've been up all night throughout this entire week thinking about it. That would be going a step too far. But am I thinking about how good the slate is from start to finish? Do I think this is the type of Saturday that I pinch myself and say, God bless this silly sport? Yes, Will. Yes, I have been doing that this entire week. It's great. It's not quite division title weekend, but I don't know, it's about as close to that as we can possibly get. I realize nothing is officially clinched just because of Mizzou and Georgia and then LSU and Bama, but this is this is the stuff we dream about. Okay. This this yep. is the mid-May weekend that we all have in our minds, just savor it. That's that's all we need to do. Cheers to that. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, it's like when you go to the doctor, it's like how often have you been experiencing symptoms? It's like maybe I haven't been up every night, but more nights than not, I've been up at like 1 or 2 a.m. just like I wonder what Jaden Daniels got in store this weekend, you know? You know what's disgusting is that when I go to bed
0: after a Saturday of full college football, I've typed up all my podcast notes for when we record on Sunday – I've watched Pac-12 after dark, and I'm brushing my teeth, usually somewhere between like 2 and 2.30 in the morning. I am on my phone. I have the Yahoo app pulled up, and every single time I'm brushing my teeth, it's a tradition, I look forward to the next week's slate of games, and I already start Mm -hmm. thinking about it. That's how quickly I can shift my focus. When I looked at that this past week, when I was brushing my teeth late on Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever you want to call it, And I thought to myself, God, it's beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And and I'm happy for that. So we have a lot to get to today. A whole lot to get to. We're going to talk about that full slate in the SEC. Matt Leiner, Bear Felica, both coming up. Then we're going to do Lad of the week to close. But let's talk some playoff rankings first, Will. First playoff ranking show, Tuesday night. Everybody's got a lot of thoughts, of course. Got some. Got, I don't want to say too many thoughts. In case you missed it. You're out trick-or-treating, whatever you're doing. Number 10, Ole Miss. Number 9, Oklahoma. 8, Alabama. 7, Texas. 6, Oregon. 5, Washington. 4, Florida State. 3, Michigan. 2, Georgia. And 1, Ohio State. In a stunning, stunning turn of events, Well, I got 1 through 6 right. That, mm, that doesn't happen often. That That really does not. In a not-so-stunning turn of events, Georgia... Got a number two ranking, and Kirby's prayers
1: were once again answered. The The four panel where it talks about each of the top four announcing their ranking, and it's like, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, FSU with like kind of generic like number of graphics. In Georgia, it just says, bloody Tuesday. And it just like yeah. has some high contrast red photos of their guys just knocking the mess out of each other. It's like, listen, there's nobody angrier today than Eli Drinkowitz because <laughs> he's like, come on, bro. <laughs> Why'd you got to do that to us, bro? (laughs) Mizzou got roughly, I don't know, a minute and 40 seconds to
0: celebrate the fact that it got its biggest, not biggest, it got its best college football playoff poll ranking ever, highest ever, to come in at number 12. And then, oh, by the way, you see that Georgia is ranked number two and not number one, and you think to yourselves, oh, boy, this is not good. Go ask Tennessee about that last year. Didn't really work out that well. Interesting that Mizzou was ranked ahead of LSU, despite the the head-to-head of Mizzou losing that game to LSU in Columbia. But it was consistent with the fact that all of the zero and one loss power five teams, there are 13 of them, that's the top 13. They didn't mess yep. around with that. All of the power five unbeatens, that's, that's your top five right there. They didn't put any... One loss team ahead of an undefeated power five team. They did not put any two loss teams ahead of a one loss teams in terms of the power fives. So it felt like the the selection committee basically said, you know what? We're just not going to mess around with that. We we don't have to at this point in the season. The Pac-12 was great non-conference play. Everybody else was just kind of meh. Everybody else was in the same exact spot. Two through five was basically the same sort of thing. And this notion that it was like, oh, the SEC was disastrous. I think the SEC was most disappointing. But if you actually look at it from how they performed against Power 5 competition compared to everybody else, you realize that there really was not a whole lot of separation other than what the Pac-12 was able to do in non-conference play. The new SEC has half of the top
1: 10. God, it does. Yeah. Oh, oh horrible year for the SEC. Oh, they're chalked. Half of the top 10. Uh, four of the
0: 13 zero or one loss teams from the sec more than any other conference. I just, just saying the sec funeral, not exactly happening the way that some expected it to. And it wasn't that the sec was just doomed to miss the playoff. It was that the sec was not having a good non-conference slate. And yeah, maybe, maybe there's still a possibility that it resembles what I was talking about earlier. It's more of 2016 where there's just truly one good team. And then a bunch of,
1: you know, two and three loss type teams that could still happen. But the, the wait, with- I will say this, though. There are a couple of teams like I think that that was the thing about 2015-16 is it was Bama and then the next best team was like, eh. Now like you can look at like, Georgia is pretty clearly number one. And then under that, you have Bama, LSU, Ole Miss, three good teams. I think that's the big difference between now and then. And like, I'll, I'll say this too, like, this also isn't like uh, there will be no crying for me about two loss LSU, especially because when LSU was at this point last year going in the AM game, they had way better wins. I mean, they had already beaten Alabama. Yep. They had already, you know what I'm saying? Like, so now you have an LSU team that their best win is Mizzou. They need Mizzou to be as ranked as high as they can because at the end of the day, Mizzou beat Kansas State and we got um, curb stomped by FSU. So if you don't want to be there, just don't lose to Ole Miss and give up a billion points. And then you're probably ahead of Mizzou because you're both one loss teams. Very simple math.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily think that was that was totally totally egregious or, or anything like that. I, I do think there was probably at least some LSU fans saying, well, we went into Columbia and beat them. Why are we not ranked ahead of them? And it's it's for the exact points that, that you just mentioned there. Um, speaking of those quality wins or lack thereof, Michigan is at number three, and it's because of the resume. It's not because of Connor Stallions. That's maybe contrary to what Michigan fans will tell you at this exact moment, but how perfect, just absolutely perfect is it? that we have Jim McElwain at the center of another photo controversy. This one sport, thing he'll do is lie.
1: <laughs> the thing that we know is that in front of the microphone, that dude is going to lie. So it's great, it's great that he's the guy we have to trust now.
0: This, this thing, this whole college football Oh, man, just Chef's kiss. Uh, just whenever you think, um, you know what? Maybe, maybe we're gonna lack some storylines going into November. No, 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 no. <laughs> they, they will. Somebody will make sure that that we get the type of content that we need. That photo of maybe or maybe not Connor Stallions on the sidelines for Central Michigan. The fact that Central Michigan isn't able to just be like, oh yeah, that's this coach. Oh yeah, that's this GA. <laughs> Instead, doing their own investigation.
1: This is the second photo controversy, if you think about it that way. It's like, hey, is this you in the shark photo? Hey, is this Connor Stallions on your that's, side? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying.
0: It's how perfect that he's at the center wait, easy, of another bro. photo. Yeah, it's just oh, it's unbelievable. Wolverines, they were not going to be ranked ahead of Ohio State. This is not the AP poll. This is the college football playoff poll, which is actually more based on resume. It's not as reactionary as what the AP poll can be at times. Think about this, too. And for, for anybody that's saying, well, Michigan's dominated Ohio State the last two years. Why, why is it Michigan ahead of Ohio State? It's like It's, it's not based on that. Tennessee was number one in the first playoff poll last year. Mm-hmm. They beat Bama. They beat LSU. They had all of these quality wins. It did not matter that Tennessee had not beat Georgia in six years at the time that that number one ranking came out. It was, hey, have you taken on some quality competition? Have you won those games? That's what we default to. That's what the selection committee, I should say, defaults to when it comes to these rankings. Ohio State has two better wins than the best win on Georgia's resume, than the best win on Michigan's resume. That's why that number one ranking I thought was obvious. That's why it tipped the scales for me when I was trying to break some of this stuff down. But I I think that there are maybe some people saying, well, why is Georgia ranked ahead of Michigan? It's not like Georgia's got all these quality wins, kind of similar resumes. And obviously Michigan's the the average margin against power five competition for Michigan is almost double the second closest team in that category. Among the 13 contenders that I talked about, like Oregon's at 20. Point six, I want to say, and then Michigan's like 39.6. It's crazy how dominant they have been, but obviously against much lesser competition. Everybody knows that. It's been well documented, but I think Georgia totally dominating its two toughest matchups of the year was important there. If mm-hmm. Georgia wins that game against Florida by like seven, I think Michigan's probably number two. I think Georgia might actually be number three, as crazy yeah, as was, that sounds. I was going to say they dominated.
1: Michigan's biggest win this year.
0: Michigan's biggest win is either at Minnesota or home against a Rutgers team that is now bowl eligible, bowl mm-hmm. eligible Rutgers. So Rutgers. Yeah. 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 But again, like this, this is about the resume at, at this point. Right. Um, And, you know, this is also a reminder that Georgia is struggling the way that it did against South Carolina and the way that it did against Auburn. That wasn't going to make or break this first ranking in the way that some might have speculated, it, it didn't necessarily help them. But at the same time, I just don't think the selection committee spends a whole lot of time on that. This is about beating elite teams. If you're looking at this right now, you smiled. That scared me. You gave it a, a very devilish smile when I said that. What was that for?
1: I'm just trying to find the elite team over here that Michigan's beat. No, continue. It's it's no, Michigan.
0: They have it. They have. Yeah. It, no Michigan fan will tell you that they beat an elite team. It's well, what are we supposed to do against? The not elite teams. You dump truck them.
1: That's what they've been doing.
0: I'll give them credit. Yep. They have done that. The most favorable path to a playoff of any team. Florida State. It's Florida State. Mm -hmm. No ranked teams left on the schedule. As weird as it sounds, the winner of Virginia Tech Louisville is probably going to the ACC championship. Virginia Tech. Four and four Virginia Tech has a really interesting path to an ACC championship. That lets you know about the depth of the ACC this year. It's not great. The... Biggest gripe with the first ranking that I think any team can make the case for it's Oklahoma. It's definitely Oklahoma Sooners longhorns one loss. One team has a neutral site head to head win. And uh, one team doesn't, and it still didn't matter. Uh, like I I'd be really frustrated if I was an Oklahoma fan seeing that early on. And I get it the whole like, Oh, losing to Kansas thing that's considered bad on the surface, but Real college football fans know that Kansas is a really good football team. They're in the top 25. They're in the playoff top 25. And I get Texas, you know, you beat Alabama by double digits in Tuscaloosa. That is as impressive of a win as there is in college football this season. But shouldn't the the team who then turns around and beats Texas at a neutral site get that love? Just get a little more love? I don't know. Um, I just didn't get that as much because it's not like Texas – has this gauntlet of quality wins against teams that are now ranked in the top 25. They beat Kansas. They smoked them. So, yeah, I get it. Mutual opponent. But to me, the head-to-head thing for teams that have the same number of losses who are playing in the same conference, that should have won out. But whatever. That's neither here nor there. Big 12 has just a log jam on top. That's kind of crazy. So it's not a guarantee that we get a Red River rematch in the Big 12 championship before they move on to the SEC. But – Uh, Yeah, just thought those were the noteworthy points. Any other playoff poll related thoughts that you had looking at this?
1: I will say on the OU thing too, I think them struggling with a really bad UCF team also plays into that because sure, I mean they sure. were that was a back and forth game and UCF is busted. So, I mean they have their winless in the big 12 so I think that the committee who does suffer from a little bit of recency bias is like okay you know, what are your last two weeks if you're Oklahoma you almost if Gus Malzahn had a competent play caller which we've said that for 10 years but if Gus Malzahn had a competent play caller on fourth down you know in the, in the red zone there I think it was actually a two-point conversion yeah it was a two-point conversion it's so at the end bad
0: of the game. oh yep. I hated that play I watched it live yep. and I'm just like no Gus what are you
1: doing oh man just things that's what he's doing um but yeah if he had you know even you know just a a decently competent oc they could have gone overtime they could have lost so i think that's probably what the committee is looking at there but i'm with you if you're an oklahoma fan you're furious because you're like look we don't texas and so that's all that should matter but yeah i mean this one's so early you talked about it like you know mississippi state famously was number one in one of these tennessee one of these and zero playoff appearances for either of those teams so far so i try to not get too too wrapped up in it at this point Two of the nine teams who started
0: off number one in the playoff poll won a national championship. That was wow. 2020 Bama and 2021 Georgia. Outside of that, it's been a little bit of a tough go. It's by no means a guarantee that you are going to make the college football playoff for the reasons that you just mentioned the, the bookend teams, 2014, 2022, and then, you know, not making the playoff Mississippi state, Tennessee. And then other than that, though, it's kind of been a bit all over the place. I just, I just think that there are, prop, there are so many things that we're going to have left to sort out. That you're right, we shouldn't get too up in arms about it. You want to talk about some actual football games this week? For sure, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Arkansas, Florida. Florida's a six point favorite. The over/under I have for this one. Two references to Kenny Guyton being a former Ohio State quarterback. That might have been low. Might have been a little bit low. He is the interim Arkansas offensive coordinator. Also known as Braxton Miller's backup when Braxton Miller just couldn't stay on the field and it was really frustrating. Oh. That was 10 years ago. God, that is, has that is
1: flown by. Don't you Connor, feel the old? Pretzel, the pretzel that you just made my brain do is like, oh, former I the quarterback. is like, dang, that guy just played. If you played with Braxton Miller, you go 10 years ago. Oh my gosh, that was not the others. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, it's crazy, man. Time's flying.
0: I am always on alert when there is a coordinator that is younger than me. Don't like that. Mm-hmm. Don't like that at all. I really don't like it when there are competing coordinators in a game and they are both younger than me. That's what we have in this one because Austin Armstrong, obviously, on the other side of that. If you're Austin Armstrong, it's kind of tough. And I realize we're talking about an Arkansas offense that's been so bad. I mean, so unbelievably disappointing this year. But you're going against an offensive coordinator that doesn't have any tape. He's, He's never called play. So you don't even know if he knows his own tendencies as a play caller. So that part, you're kind of having to react to him figuring some things out, maybe even within a game. Like, do you coach against what you've seen in these first eight games that Arkansas has played, or do you coach against what you think Arkansas should be doing and what Kenny Guyton's strategy could be? We've talked about the design rollouts, having a little bit more of the QB run game for KJ. Like, what do you do if you're Austin Armstrong, and what are you expecting? I would guess Kenny Guyton has seen what all of us have, and... Has seen that oh that any any world in which you're saying yeah we're gonna take some of the things that Dan Enos did well. No no no
1: you're you're They're, throwing them which all. which
0: ones <laughs> yeah. which one?
1: Um I don't know. Employing KJ Jefferson, <laughs> having him make three people miss and hit a wide open guy downfield.
0: That's we're, what they did well before today. Responding to emails with a with a university issued email account. Um again, a thing Dan Enos did not do particularly well. Just saying. Yeah. I'm going to guess we're going to see some differences in the offensive game plan for Arkansas. You just have to, I wonder if we're going to see rocket back in this one. I, I, I don't know. It's been, it's been a really lost season for him, but back in his home state wonder if maybe there's a little bit more motivation, who knows what that looks like. Motivation is probably the wrong way to say it, but more of a sense of urgency to be able to get back, even though it's for an Arkansas team that is uh, now has a margin for error of zero. If it wants to play in a bowl game, I would love to see rocket take off in this one Laura and I can actually watch the rockets take off. If we go out in front of our house and we can turn, mm-hmm. we can turn and face East and see the, the rockets being launched from Cape Canaveral. Like there was a satellite thing that they did the other day. And we're like, let's go outside and watch it. And then sure enough, you can like see it going over. It's so cool. It's, it's unbelievable. So yeah. Yeah. And rocket can do that all the time. Cause he's from Rockledge, which is right by the Kennedy space center. Talked about that before.
1: How about that? Okay. That's fine. Love that.
0: I think I asked him at one point, like, yeah, I definitely asked him at SCC Media Days. So I was like, "Rocket, do you re- did you like realize as a kid when you got the name Rocket that like you live in the place where rockets are just launched all the time?" And he's like, "No, I had no idea." And then you get a little bit. Notice
1: to me, buddy, this is a great yeah. nickname.
0: that's yeah, it's a perfect nickname. I didn't even fully put that together until like a little like after his freshman year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would love to just even just getting him out there for a limited reps would be awesome to be able to see, just because. Man, I miss that guy watching. I miss watching that guy play football. He was fun when he was at his best. And if the offense is going to be better, one would think that he could be a part of that. So TBD on on that whole situation. But how can you have any faith in Arkansas right now? You just can't. Ending a losing streak is one thing. Doing so in the swamp is another. I, I just, like, I had this one penciled in as a nice bounce back game for Florida in the preseason. And that was back when I thought the Hogs would be eight and four, I thought Graham Mertz would be a subpar SEC quarterback. And those two things have gone in, in different directions than what I was expecting. So I'm going to take Florida to win and cover when this game 28 to 14 and Arkansas is officially eliminated from bowl contention.
1: Yeah. I think it's so funny because exactly what you said, it's like, do we skimming us the things that Arkansas could be doing well. It's like, I wish, I wish I knew what that was. Cause it seems pretty easy to, you know, get offense out of this unit with KJ and, and, you know, with the, the guys they've had together for so long, but yeah, I mean, it would be hilarious. And I'm not even trying to like waste time on this or make a meme. It's like, it would be hilarious if they just completely changed everything. Like maybe not go like wing T exactly, but just come out and, like, like service. Really... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's actually not a bad strategy, but I, you know, you can't put them with that mid season, but it, you know, like you said, that's really the best thing that um, Arkansas is going for them. It's like any old school college coach. This is like his nightmare. It's like we got no film, you know. And and also, if it's you, it's your best. You know, it's like if no one's seen the backup quarterback, like, they don't know if this guy's mobile. They don't know what he can do. So yeah. Um, but to your point, you know, it's it's in the swamp. I think that we've kind of seen the differences in splits there. Um, so I don't think Arkansas, with how we've seen them, can bounce back and do this. And. You know, it's just going to be really interesting. Like I said, we just don't know what this team is. So even the Daninos version of it, I could say, you know, maybe I could see Sam Pittman getting them up. Maybe I could see this be a situation where, because I mean, they played really well against Bama. Like the situations that we thought it would be, like LSU and Bama, they were right, right yeah. there. Um, Mississippi State. No, <laughs> so it's, it's just hard to predict. Like in an environment like this, maybe the old version of them could have been good because the hardest ones we, we, we thought they would just get wrecked were where they played the best and the easiest ones that were gimme's. They were like, you can have it. But yeah, I, I, that's a lot of words to say. I think Floyd is obviously going to try to bounce back after the Georgia game. They're going to, you know, um, Shrek and Joy or Billy Napier is going to return to the swamp, but I think we'll defend it. <laughs> Shrek and Joy or Billy Napier.
0: Is he, is he a big Shrek guy?
1: I don't think so. I, okay. I would be terrified to ask him that question, but he doesn't like people in a swamp. That's one thing about that's, him. That's, that's a fact.
0: You know what? That's, that's very true. That is, that is a good observation. Yeah, I, I think this game could stay close. I think it could be one of those 17 to 14 type games and maybe Arkansas just runs out of gas in the fourth quarter and their depth just isn't where they need to be able to, to win a game like this on the road. Um, could be a late cover for Florida. By the way, I beefed up the other day, um, and Florida fans probably caught me saying this, and I didn't realize it until after the fact but I, I had this like pit in my stomach later in the day on Sunday after I realized I said this I hundred percent accountability, like to you know call myself out when I mess up. I said, Shamar Turner went down. I meant Shamar James. There are three sec players in the front seven that have the first name Shamar right now. Mm-hmm. Shamar Turner, Shamar Stewart, Shamar James. I was going to mess that up at some point. So I, look, it happens. My bad. I know who Shamar James is. I realize that you're, that there are a lot of Shamars in the SEC right now. So my bad cool name. hand up. Yeah. Happens. Okay. Texas A&M Ole Miss Ole Miss is only a three point favorite, despite the fact that they're number 10 in the first college football playoff bowl. Well, the over under I have for this one is 10 hits on Max Johnson. That's just hits. We're not talking sacks. Yeah. Dude might get peppered in this one. I am worried about Max Johnson in this football game. Ole Miss is not a perfect defense. But they can definitely take advantage of an inferior offensive line and a quarterback that doesn't get rid of the ball that quickly. That's kind of what AM is at this point. AM is, man, they are one of the most baffling units in the SEC that they are this bad. I, I think they are so underwhelming up front. That group, and especially at this stage of the Jimbo Fisher era, if you you know, and everybody talks about how bad the offensive line was. Late at FSU when when he had stopped recruiting at the position all these different things but at their peak man they 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 were so good up front at Florida State you just thought once Jimbo had things going you would just kind of set it and forget it with their offensive line and that has not been the case it's been so bad and against this Ole Miss defense look I, I think this is going to be a long day for them I really do they get in the backfield they're number five in FBS and sacks number nine in TFLs and. Yeah, now you got that offensive line on the road and trying to deal with snap count. And, uh, the communication could be an issue. Maybe the, the hope for AM and M is that the Grove uh, kind of has some some stragglers, some stragglers for for the vaught Hemingway crowd. And maybe a few too many pickle martinis the night before. People getting after it on the square. You know, it's, look, the ultimate hangover fan in college football is Oxford 11 a.m. kick. That's it. Yeah. When you close your eyes and you see that hungover college football fan, it's it's a bro rocking a powder blue polo, sitting there just head down, sun beating down on him, looking miserable.
1: The pledges in the suits, the pledges in the suits that are like (laughs) forgetting their whole life with the ties on. Yep.
0: You're like man this isn't what I had envisioned when I was just getting after it last night this is uh didn't think about this uh, thought thought the game was later in the day didn't think 11 a.m would come around so soon uh so look maybe maybe that'll limit the, the atmosphere at old miss and it'll lack a little bit of juice that'll favor am on the road who knows maybe that's why this line is also only old Miss minus three uh, because I look at the matchup and I have major hesitation with this AM offense looking the part, despite the fact that I think I've gone to bat for him for most of the year and the things that Robert Patrick Petrino have done have mostly been positive. I worry about this so much for Max Johnson, Will, that I had to look up QB3 for AM. I guess he's QB2 now. Jalen mm-hmm. Henderson? Sure.
1: Sure. PC, sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, Eight career FBS pass attempts. They all came two years ago when he was a backup at Fresno State. Only two of those passing attempts came against FBS competition. I don't love that. I don't love that at all. Um, I also don't really like that line at minus three. I don't. That scares me. This would be a very old Miss way to squander those West hopes. There's, oh, hey, you get into the top five. Nope. This is why you can't have nice things. This is why you are not considered upper echelon in the sec but i do like the odds of dayton wade getting some more favorable matchups either on the outside schemed open he's been great this year a healthy quinch on judkins might still struggle against that much improved AM run defense but i still think ole miss can do enough to win just an ugly grinded out 24 to 17 type game but man i keep thinking about that line and i'm gonna probably regret that decision I, i'm gonna say vegas knew and i'm an idiot
1: yeah, and, and you're completely right on with the line thing. And its I would say that's probably the position that recruiting rankings transfer the most in the on-field play. And that's why a has had a great line under Jimbo is they just stack these high four and five stars. And it's like, yeah, if you have enough of those guys that are six, seven, three hundred and fifty, 350, most of them will learn how to play football. Or, you know, but they have the exact same situation or similar one Alabama, which is like, Maybe they just don't, and that's kind of it. You have some guys that are really highly rated. Like you don't see a bunch of two and three stars that are getting kind of like cobbled together and coached up the way you'd see it, like at Arkansas. Um, but that's the very reason why. Like with LSU, they brought in the two like really highly rated freshman tackles because they were like, "Hey, sometimes you can't coach size." Um, but on the other side of this counter, I just want you to imagine this, right? Let's say, okay, boom, it's third and nine for A and M, right? Max Johnson, he's in the shotgun, right? He's got to get a first down. You hear the Benny Hill song starts as the snap goes off. They just failed to. Uh, blocked the A-gap. J.J. Pegues squirts through the middle. He's chasing Max Johnson around. Max Johnson, who will never throw the football away, is now just being chased by J.J. Pegues like it's Halloween. And that's going to happen three or four times, actually, probably.
0: It, it probably will. Whether it's Pegues, whether it's Jared Ivey's Somebody's getting through and getting to Max Johnson. Oh, Ivy's
1: just getting to him. But Pegues is, oh, Lord, he's coming. True. Max Johnson might have a shot to get away from him, but it won't work. No, it won't. I
0: not Potential for a behind the back Max Johnson throw. Haven't seen that Always. Since the UCLA game opener two years ago. Look, uh man, it's it's not gonna be a pretty sight at times. And your hope if you're AM is just in those moments, you're not you're not turning the ball over, it's not a, a fumble, you know, that that turns into a scoop and score or something like that. That could very easily happen in this matchup. Yeah, it's um look, Ole miss. I think if you're going to make everyone in college football take you seriously and not just wonder about your first half schedule like we were doing for so much of last year, this is the type of game that you come out and you look the part and you show that you maybe have a chance to be able to, to stay relevant late into the late into the month of November. All right, let's talk Auburn and Vandy for like two seconds because that's all it warrants. Auburn's a 12 and a half point favorite. The over under I have is 26. Peyton Thorne passing attempts. Mm. That sounds like like a lot. It kind of is. It's what he had last week against Mississippi State. That's also when he had his best game of the season. I think, I hope, I pray, that the two quarterback system is truly in the past. I lied. I'm not sitting here praying that the two quarterback system is in the past. We've got other things to worry about. There are things in life that are more important uh, than whether or not Robbie Ashford sees 15 snaps in a football game, but I don't want it to happen. I really don't want it to happen. And look, that's not against Robbie Ashford, but to actually see the best version of this Auburn offense, I think you need Peyton Thorne consistently out there now that he understands the offense a little bit more now that he can run some more tempo. And now that it feels like these receivers actually have a reason to show up to work, I think if Robbie Ashford plays, it'll be like one goal line play where they bring him in for the wildcat or something like that. And then it's garbage time. I think that's it. it. One time. Have I told you the story about when I got in trouble for writing about garbage time in a as a throwaway line in a story when I was working at the newspaper in Nebraska? No. So. In Nebraska, for whatever reason, garbage time is not a phrase. They do not know what garbage time is. And I blame Tom Osborne for that, actually, because <laughs> by, actually, you know what? Nebraska should know what garbage time is more than anybody because Tom Osborne blew out so many teams during their upbringing that they should know exactly
1: what garbage time means.
0: But for whatever reason, two
1: kinds of garbage time in Nebraska, the top Osborne area where you're doing it to teams and the post-top Osborne area where you are part of it. That's true. That's
0: a good point, Will. That's a really good point. But I, I threw it in there as like some throwaway line to say like, oh, yeah, like this team. You know, they scored two touchdowns in garbage time or something because I was writing about a game that was like 42 to nothing or something. They were doing running clock in the second half, whatever. I put this line at the very end of a story and I got some calls. Um, did not think anything of it. I learned the hard way that there's probably a different way to phrase that to avoid having a parent show up at the newspaper office. Not ideal. Not ideal. Don't want to have to ever explain that again. College football, a little bit different, though. We can say that. The kids make money now, despite what Congress might have to say. Um, yeah, I can still not feel totally bad that kids are making money. I will say garbage time from time to time. I think there's some garbage time in this game. I think Peyton Thorne and this passing game should it should feast. God, that I, that sentence with Auburn did not sound right passing game for Auburn should feast. It just eh, doesn't even, it does not flow off the tongue. We'll just say that. Vandy is bottom 20 in the country against the pass. Still thinking no CJ Taylor, who has really had himself a really good season before he went down on that hit that he took against Carson Beck on his interception return. But if Auburn wins this game, I am going to give Auburn fans permission to celebrate a bull berth. Do it. Yes. It's win number five. I get it. You don't want to count your count your chickens before they hatch. I personally would be a big chicken counter. I would do that all the time. Yeah, I don't care that it hasn't hatched. That one, look at that. One. See the size of that egg? It's sitting right there. That's money in the bank. It's hatching. I think that given the fact, what are we talking about? <laughs> I think Auburn is going to get win number six because they got New Mexico state in a couple of weeks. So that's why I'm saying, even though we don't sleep on Jerry kill, we do sleep on him when he has to travel across the country to play in an sec atmosphere. So I'm going to say that Auburn by virtue of winning this game, getting to win number five is actually like getting to win number six. So Auburn real sec team still, which is why Vandy will struggle. Auburn wins 28 to 10 fans in attendance by the end of this game at Vandy. I don't know, 16, 17. Something like that.
1: As far as the final score, I'm right there with you. I think Auburn should uh, win this comfortably. I will say the same exact thing, but in verse that I said about LSU's defense, where it's like, hey, just because you played Mississippi State and Vanderbilt does not mean that you've got this passing thing figured out. Um, but I will say um, something just about this week. Generally, I feel like this is the only week I've seen, honestly, since we've been doing the pod, that I feel like every SEC team, like every coach could look at their team and say, you know what, guys, we've got a real chance to win this week. Um, so Ole Miss a both of those teams could win. Uh, Tennessee should crush UConn. Arkansas, Florida. Both of those teams, like if you're in the locker room, you're Sam Pittman, you could get them going against Florida. Um, South Carolina, Jacksonville State should be a walkover. Mizzou, you're you only got one loss. You're playing Georgia. You gotta believe in yourself at this point. This is the highest you've okay. ever been ranked. Auburn, Vandy. Um Auburn obviously is rolling. They should roll, Vandy. They're a huge they're 12 and a half point favorite. If you're Clark Lee, you're like, hey, we've beaten better teams than Auburn here. This Auburn passing attack look horrible. If we could, if we get a turnover, we might get something going. You know, you you could at least sell it to your team. You could just sell them a dream. You know, Kentucky, Mississippi State, I, one of those teams has to win, Connor. Uh, and then LSU-Bama, same thing. So I think this is like an all-time good vibes week Um, that every coach is like, you know what, boys, these guys aren't going to see us coming, even if they're underdogs. So does that mean Hopium is on sale on clearance? Oh, what Hopium. Are you about? Clearance on Hopium. But the first playoff ranking is out, bro. Oh, yeah. Okay. All
0: right. You know what? That's, that's not a bad take. That's, that's not a bad take. We, uh, you know what we, we, I feel like very often we speak about hopium in such a negative context, but when the calendar turns to November and if you have any sort of hopium, you savor it, you do whatever you can to obtain it. And you hope that your team doesn't get smashed by four touchdowns. That's about all you
1: can ask for. And some of them will, but we don't know that yet.
0: We don't know that yet. Uh, there will be less opium. I will say on sale by the end of Saturday slate that, that much Kentucky three and a half point favorite on the road against Mississippi state. The over under I have is 22 Kentucky points. Oh boy. Um, Muffet, Kentucky fans. Will, when was the last time that Kentucky scored more than 22 points in Starkville?
1: Man, I'm going to start thinking about bad Mississippi State teams. Um, okay, so it's got to be around, I'm going to say around like a 20... Wow, there really aren't many horrible Mississippi State teams. I'm going to guess around like 2016-ish. Oh, well. Oh, well.
0: No. Um, um, is it the Kroom era? You were, yes. You were a decade off. Um, uh-huh. The last time that Kentucky scored more than twenty-two points in Starkville was the year two thousand six.
1: Man, I so badly did not want to say the crew era, man. Oh. We're so mean to the crew era on here, but Kentucky, it's Croom era. Kentucky has not won in Starkville since two thousand eight.
0: Yeah, mm, not great. Rich Brooks, he was the last Kentucky coach to win in Starkville. So yeah. That wasn't even a good Kentucky team either. They lost 63-5 to five the previous week to Florida. So
1: five is <laughs> a fun number
0: to have as a total. The anyway. only reason I included this, Will, was because it was 63-5. to five. And it was like it's Tebow. They won a national championship that year. So not the most embarrassing thing in the world. But still, Kentucky, despite all of that history, is sitting here as a road favorite, even though it feels like Kentucky hasn't won any games since 2008. That's mean, but you get what I'm saying. September was a long time ago been a minute florida was the last win for kentucky that was a lifetime ago considering the month that's been october was not kind to the cats this game comes down to whether or not devin leary has really turned the corner that's that's everything because if he has we know that you can throw against this mississippi state defense if auburn can throw on you anything is possible okay true uh, they couldn't on. even throw an lsu <laughs> they could not they could not and i get it mississippi state fans you had that great week against arkansas um asterisk okay that is, Did you, that is the day That, Dan great week you arkansas? Anyway. <laughs> you that was more that was more bad offense than it was a good defense if you ask me I, if, if mississippi state fans had truth serum i think they would tell you that as well like that that game has an asterisk with danny nose was calling plays and we can't include that stricken from the record Kentucky's offensive line was excellent in protecting Devin Leary, albeit in a losing effort against Tennessee. That group I think can hold up on the road. Even with the Cowbells rocking, I think they can hold up. I'm not sure this is a Mississippi State defense that's going to come at you from all different angles. And I know Bookie Watson's been great. Judd Johnson, the, the ageless wonder. They're probably going to have some sort of impact in the backfield in this one that wouldn't surprise me. I am maybe guilty of falling into the trap that I talked about a few weeks ago with Cole and how we probably shouldn't judge offensive lines based on how they look at home in night games. I feel like that's the ultimate outlier for some of these offensive lines that have been like kind of so-so throughout the year. And then you just sell yourself on, oh, this offensive line's actually really good because look what they did at home at night. Um, But I have talked myself into Kentucky winning this football game. Why have I done that? Maybe a question I'm going to be asking on Saturday night. Why did I do this to myself? Even if Leary reverts back to his pre-Tennessee self, how can anyone trust what Mississippi State is doing on offense? Your boy Kevin Barbe has been, uh, I don't want to say it's full-on Basura, but it's, it's borderline Basura, okay? It's not good. It ain't. It's not. And look, I'm not sure about Will Rogers status. I'm not sure it matters. Uh, Look, Mike Wright, Will Rogers, home, road, neutral site. I don't know. I don't really know. I like the idea of Mark Stoops' defense kind of putting this game on their back after they really got punched in the mouth by Tennessee. I mean, that Tennessee ground game looked like its best version of itself on the road in Lexington. So I I think Kentucky wins this one, and I think – They become the first road team to win this matchup. Here's another bizarre rivalry trend stat. They become the first road team to win this matchup since Dak won in Lexington, 2014. So that's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah. That's wow! Yeah, I love this. Is such an underrated weird rivalry. Like I know we've like talked about it a good bit, but around the SEC, it's like this rivalry is so strange. It is completely destroyed. Like so many like good vibes, I guess, would be going because both of these teams yes. been, kind of had their like plucky upstart, and then they've gone on the road. It just died. It's well, this, this matchup
0: th- for for two teams like Mississippi State has had the one winning record in conference play in mm-hmm. in uh, in the 21st century, the 2014 Dac season, and then Kentucky has had. Two since the jimmy carter administration and it's because
1: they cannot beat each other on the road it's entirely because of that they gotta unionize they gotta be like look bestie we're about to be at 500. We need this one this year. Next year I like your I like your uh your your junior quarterback, he's going to be starting next year. We might give you that one cuz you got somewhere to be. We got somewhere to be. Let's get But this is like the ultimate like no. Like they're just two dudes that are like it's like a bar fight. Like it's just yep. Yep. like the police are going to end it. They're both going to go to jail, but they're going to get some good licks in. And so yeah, I actually think I mean this, I, God, this is so stupid. I feel it's being stupid, but I feel like Kentucky is going to win this one big, um, even Ooh. despite all those trends, because of despite K- Kentucky. OK, I'm a big believer in like not all wins are wins. A lot of times, especially in college teams, just lose games. I think Tennessee won that last game. I think that Kentucky and as much as they were going back and forth, I think the Kentucky played a good game. That was the best game we've seen Kentucky play this year outside of that really weird Florida game. That, OK, let's say this. They still couldn't throw the ball in the Florida game. So it was yes. just Ray Davis was disgusted. Sometimes you have, I mean, a la Leonard Fournette, sometimes you have one guy who's just unguardable and the rest of your offense doesn't have to do much. And that's probably what that felt a little bit like. But it feels like those receivers finally got on page with Leary. It feels like this was the offense we were trying to see. And an offense that you can see is better than Mississippi State's, which you cannot. It is in a ghillie suit, it is hiding, it is in witness protection. So I feel like I, I just feel like if a version of that Kentucky offense, even the one with Ray Davis, even the one with, even the Florida one that just simply has healthy Ray Davis, I think should be enough. So I'm looking at it, and then you look at Kentucky's defense and how hard they played against Tennessee, despite the loss, despite you know the yards or whatever. Like they were on there fighting. Like they were, like I said, uh, Tennessee was just. They played really well. I I think that it didn't make me think that Kentucky's defense was soft. So I think if you look at how it's you know, it's always hard to say like with the teams that don't like you know, blew everybody out like like the way that they showed up against Georgia. But I do think Kentucky's like defensive backs are still good. I think they're front seven with Weaver and those boys. Like I still think there's a lot of pride in that unit. Whereas Mississippi State, like oh I mean, here you go. Kentucky has not had a ton of just horrible defensive performances. They did have Georgia, which again that's Georgia among us. But I think that they're just a more complete football team than Mississippi State. So state goes in there or, or state like Kind of gets off to a rough start, or if they're not, they, state has to do everything right to win this game. Yes. Kentucky can be stupid and win this game, and so from for that logic, it's like Leary needs to get the kind of mojo going because you know they got future ACC champion Louisville on their schedule, so they got
0: kind of to get ready for them. Louisville's tough, man. Game plan yeah. for a Jeff Brown offense is is not something I, I I would look forward to. I'm just saying, if I was a defensive minded coach, yeah, I I think that this is a, an example, and you're. Your, your points are, are all valid where certain teams have a lot of limiting factors. Mississippi State is a team that has a lot of limiting factors. Kentucky has less limiting factors for their path to victory. Mississippi State has to have a ton of things go right. I don't think Kentucky quite has to have as many things go right because right. – Like, yes, you might be able to contain Ray Davis. Tennessee did a really good job containing Ray Davis. He's kind of quietly faded off that unbelievable pace that he was on at the start of the season. And yeah, maybe some of that wasn't as sustainable, but okay. Then Kentucky finds a way to pass protect. And all of a sudden, like, you know, that they still have talent at receiver. You know, that the scheme is still there. And even when they were struggling, it was still, you were still seeing positive signs from the scheme. But I, I do think that Mississippi state could struggle at home in a game that has felt automatic for them in years past. Real quick, Mississippi State is the team in Fansville, the Dr. Pepper commercials, right?
1: Wow, I've never thought about that. How have you not thought about this with all of those commercials? I always think about this. Well, I imagine it's somewhere in the Midwest. Everyone seems pretty Midwestern. So his name really doesn't narrow it down. I feel like it's pretty generic. Uh, They're not Southern. They're not people. Those are not the people of Mississippi. Come
0: on. No, the Bosworth as the cop, though. Bosworth is not a Midwest cop. There's no way. So that's fair. In the most recent commercial where they had. um, I shouldn't say the most recent commercial. I don't know when these come out. There's like 50 of them. But when they had the overreacting to the first play from scrimmage and Bosworth is like, guys, it was the first play. What are you doing? You don't right. need to set the, your, all your, you know, memorabilia on fire and slam popcorn and do all those different things. That was an sec reaction. That was 100% yeah. an sec reaction. That was not a big 10 reaction. That was, hold on. We're going to give Brian Ferentz an ultimatum. We're going to give him plenty of time to be the offensive coordinator, RIP, Brian Ferentz and the drive to three twenty five. Um, But that, to me, screams why this could be Mississippi State. Do Mississippi State fans think it's about them? I don't know. I think they could own that.
1: There are that's a great things. question. We need to put that out to the to Twitter because, yeah, that's a good point.
0: All right. I'm going to fire up a Twitter poll after we hop off this call. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the SEC East Division Championship of sorts. Not officially the Division Championship, but a game that obviously has major, major East implications. Number 12, Mizzou. On the road. Number 2, Georgia. Georgia's a 15-and-a-half point Favorite. The over under I have for this one, Will, is 96 Luther Burden receiving yards. Kentucky is the only team to hold Luther Burden under 96 receiving yards in a game this season. We have talked about him a lot because he is that good. Two years ago, Luther Burden took that official visit to Georgia. He turns around. Just a couple of days later, he verbally commits to Mizzou. He stays true to Mizzou. It's no late flip at the 11th hour like some speculated Kirby Smart would do. It wasn't necessarily a stunner. There was a strong feeling that he was going to stay in state, but still noteworthy when a five-star recruit visits Georgia and then turns around immediately and commits elsewhere, especially in a place like Mizzou where, let's be honest, five-star recruits, they don't grow on trees. They just don't. A couple that was weeks ago, the video of
1: Drink getting picked up, wasn't it?
2: The,
0: like Ennis the, one, the Ennis Rakeshaw one was the first viral one, but I'd have to go back and watch it. He definitely had a strong reaction video to Luther Burton. Okay. I just don't know if it was that specific one. He probably did. Let's just say yes. Right. Let's just, yeah, probably. A couple weeks ago um, on the SiriusXM segment that I do every week with Hester and Chris Budden on off-campus, Chris asked me about the toughest game for Georgia in this stretch without Brock Bowers, and I went with Ole Miss – which was what I said in the preseason. I kind of stand by that with some of the things that Ole Miss does well. And her follow-up was, so you think Georgia is going to stop Luther Burden? And admittedly, at the time of that question, I really hadn't dug into the prep yet because Georgia was still in the bye week. Florida was coming up. So I wasn't necessarily like onto the Florida or onto the the Mizzou-Georgia matchup just yet. It was one of those where I kind of had to answer in the beginning, just gut reaction. And I kind of figure it out as I go. It happens, Whatever. But the more I thought about it and the more I talked through that answer that day, I thought, you know what? Yes, I do think that Georgia will contain Luther Burden. Doesn't mean they're going to shut him down, but I think they will contain him. I have since gone back and looked at how each team's primary slot receiver performed against Georgia. Why did I do that? Because I'm a nerd. Why else? Duh, obviously. It's a little tricky because like Ricky Pearsall, he is Played the most slot snaps of anybody for Florida, but they move he and Trey Wilson around kind of all over the place. Whereas other teams have had more true slot guys like Burden, where they pretty much only split out wide for like a handful of snaps in a game. Georgia, against each team's primary slot receiver, they've allowed one receiving touchdown all year. And it was Amari Thomas, UAB. I actually went back and watched it because I'm a major, major nerd, even more than I let on. And it was actually a goal line play where he was split out wide. So he wasn't even lined up in the slot. Primary hmm. slot receivers are averaging 43 yards against Georgia. Take that for what it is. This is the toughest matchup for Luther Burden. And Luther Burden, a.k.a. the guy with more slot receiving yards of any player in college football. It is his toughest matchup of the year, obviously. Like he is Georgia is shutting him down. Georgia has not had to deal with anybody in the slot quite like him with the amount of reps that he's going to get at that spot. Ricky Pearsall had the best day of any receiver against Georgia this year. Ricky Pearsall, uh, look, the box score looks good. 99 yards, 64 of them came in the second half when it was in garbage time. Hopefully I don't get a call for saying that. Don't show up at my house for saying garbage time. I thought Taiki Smith was tremendous against Ricky Pearsall. I think he will be lined up across from Luther Burden a lot in this game. Not exclusively. It's not going to be a full shadow or anything like that, probably. But I think we will see a good amount of why this Georgia team that is so sure tackling, that does not really allow a whole lot of yards after the catch, why they will be able to hold Luther Burden in check. Do I think that he is still going to make some plays? Absolutely. He's too good of a player not to but do I think we will see multiple instances of Mizzou trying to get some of that underneath stuff going with burden and it just goes nowhere? Yes. I think that will happen. All eyes are going to be on Luther burden. Georgia players have probably been hearing about him all week. I bet Kirby's telling his team. Yeah. Luther burden. He took a visit to Georgia a couple of years
1: ago. He hated Sanford stadium.
0: Look, he just didn't like it. Didn't like the vibes here. He said was, you guys
1: are quiet. They said that the 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 shoulder pads with the spikes were whack. He said your women aren't attractive, and it's just all made up stuff. I can see that.
0: He said overrated college town, Athens, Georgia. He's, he's <laughs> Kirby is also probably telling his team that Georgia lost that game last year. You you guys remember losing in Columbia last year? You remember how that felt? By the time the ball is kicked, knowing Kirby. He will have every player in that Georgia locker room convinced that it's Mizzou who got the number two ranking and Georgia's actually number 12. That, that I believe to be true. This, this game is going to be a perfect reminder of how good Kirby smart is at the mental grind of this sport, because to do what Georgia has done, you do not treat games like this as a roadblock. This is not even a speed bump. This is a pebble for Georgia. I'm going dogs big. 38-14.
1: Georgia makes a loud, loud statement in this one. I love the the visual of a pebble just being hit by like a bus. I I think you're right on the money. I love that amount of research around um, slot receivers. I I was going to say that Luther Burton is almost like a it's like a potion that's like, yeah, he's going to get you 96 yards, and you're just going to decide how to use that. Where it's mm. like um, the Pearsall way is exactly what that looks like in a loss. It's like you're going to end up with a ton of yards. You're going to end up looking good when you throw in the highlights, but are those 96 yards going to come at a point where? you know, it matters. Are they going to come, you know, at a point where it, it's, it's actually you know, third down, you know, third and five, you got to have this one, the ears are pinned back and they know they got to stop Luther Burden. And I think that's while wow, that is the thing that um, Mizzou has gotten way better at, you know, we talked about it against K-State, like how that was like this big Eureka moment for Luther Burden, like, oh gosh, they can use him well. Um, welcome to the party of using your offensive players. Well, Georgia has been stopping teams that um, do that for, I mean, more than three years, four, five, six years. Uh, so I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's again, like not even trying to be condescending. It's like the fact that they're all kind of like on step one of like, we have Luther Burton, let's get him the ball. Awesome, dude. Georgia has shut down people that have been like on Heisman campaigns and such. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, I'm right there with you. I, I think that Mizzou has shown a little bit of... Um, timidness and it's, it's just tough to to dump on them because they're having such a good season like I, I want to say that like they played what, what do you so think the, well
0: the timidness game? like uh, are you talking about like offensive play calling with stretching the field because I think they've done that at, at a rate that they hadn't in the entire drink era and they've been more willing to use those secondary options of Theo Weese, who's really important in this game Mookie Cooper as well so what what do you mean by 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 timidness is that offensive
1: thing or is that on the defensive side of the ball so it feels like almost like a, like a vibes, vibes thing. Like they're a little bit of like a sleepy cat. Do you got to wake up and be like, come on, buddy, we got to go. Like you see them getting down big against Kentucky. You see the weird end of that K state game. You see the way they kind of collapse down the stretch against LSU. You see the way they also couldn't score at the end of the South Carolina game. Hmm. Like they kind of just, they sit down and they're like, I'm here. And it's like, Grant, You need to go, you need to go be aggressive. You need to get out there and win this game. And like, it's like, I've talked about like the comparisons between drink and Napier. Cause I think they're complete opposite people where it's like Napier thinks he's the dude all the time. Like he's like, let's be aggressive. Let's go for this fourth down. Let's take these dumb risks. Whereas drink is just kind of like, Oh, we'll get there eventually. And it's like, no, when you play Georgia, like you need to go down there and at least do the first part of a photo ditch, like score immediately, like put them on their heels. And I think that, drink is a couple of years away from truly believe maybe one year away from truly looking himself in the mirror and being like, I think this team can beat Georgia. And like, even though I said that as like the good vibes thing, he'll tell his team that can beat Georgia, but to make the risks that could, that could blow up in his face to really like stand out there and say, we're going for this. We're better than Georgia. Let's do it to get to really fully believe that in his bones. I don't think they're there yet. that you can't have lulls like that against a team like Georgia. You just can't, that's when they're going to pounce on you. You could start off and play an amazing first half and be up 10 at halftime. You think, Oh my gosh, we're doing it. And then look what happened to Tennessee against Alabama. The exact same thing. They got a little bit scared. They stopped being aggressive. And that's what happens against these great teams where you have, you know, a, a coach and a team that's looking around the one, how are we doing this? This is crazy you quickly find out that if you don't know why you're doing this, there's not a good reason. <laughs> if Mizzou
0: does end up getting blown out in this game, and look, it sounds like I'm disrespecting Mizzou, and that's not what I'm trying to do because I still think Mizzou is going to go to a New Year Six Bowl. If not, I think Florida Bowl game is their floor at this point with how well they have started off. I have given Mizzou its flowers this year. I think we have both been, been willing to do that. And I have praised the move that Eli Drinkowitz made to bring in Kirby Morris' offensive play caller to lock down Blake Baker, a defensive coordinator who showed competence in something that they greatly needed. Let's not use the F word to describe Mizzou if they get killed. The F word oh, fraud. No. Fraud. Yeah. that That will be thrown out there by some who maybe haven't been paying attention, who maybe have just looked at Mizzou based on, oh yeah, that was a nice win against Kansas State. And then, oh, but you lost LSU and oh, you lost the two toughest games in your schedule. I, I get that. If Mizzou loses this game in convincing fashion, it won't be some sign that, oh, you know what? This team was just being propped up by the schedule or something like that, because I think they tested themselves in non-conference play more than, than a lot of teams in the SEC did. And they were able to pass that test. And I think to get to this point of the season, going into November at 7-1 and one and being in the top 15, that is a really hard thing to do. It, it doesn't mean that it's an impossible thing to do, but it is a hard thing to do. And knowing that you are going to be on this stage, CBS, three thirty game, great, great weekend for a CBS doubleheader in the final year of the SEC on CBS. It's- RIP, man, but this is a great way to close it out. This oh. is a
1: fire CBS
0: slate beautiful and maybe that's why i'm so excited we're gonna get double
1: drums that that to me oh that oh, gets yeah. that gets the blood pumping um, can we can we bring back Vern for a celebrity shot can he call like a quarter and just get everyone's name wrong that would be fire i i think yeah that was a question that i asked gary in the in the interview that we did at sec media days like can we get
0: Vern just popping up to the booth for a quarter something like that i mean oh god it just it's begging for it. a day like this would be fantastic if they're going to do that they would probably save it for the iron bowl that's just my guess, the way that this typically gone. Maybe they would save it for Army-Navy or something like that, too. Gary talks about the passion that they obviously have for that game and, and understanding the magnitude of it. But as it relates to this game, I, I think that even if Mizzou is on the wrong end of a decisive result, this is still a sign that your program is doing the things that you hoped it would. It's just nobody in the East is on Georgia's level, and it's okay that you might not be as well. Watch Mizzou make this
1: a down to the wire game after I said that <laughs> I don't think that'll happen. though. I just don't. Sorry. I mean, Honestly, as just SEC football appreciators, like we want as many teams to be good and competent. I mean, at least competent as we can. Like, we hate to see these games. Like, I mean, okay, there is some novelty in seeing a 7 3 game that's funny, but we don't want teams to just be dysfunctional and wasting guys' years of eligibility because they don't know what they're doing out there. And, like, I will say this about Mizzou, too. I mean, I said at the time, I thought they were a better team than LSU. I think they have played LSU. I can't believe they lost that game. It took Jaden Daniels limping back on the field and leading two touchdown drives. And, like, Meavis missed a field goal. And you could easily, like, you could say, oh, well, the Kansas State game that's what Mavis does. Like, that's the Mavis I know where he hits that like super long field goal. Like that's, that's more in their wheelhouse than that weird loss to LSU. So like, don't think I will not call Mizzou frauds. I think that assuming they can land the plane and you'll beat some of these like, you know, teams down the stretch and everything. um, I think that, like this will be closer to a one loss season and that loss being Georgia, if they were to lose to Georgia, then it would be like, Oh, you almost lost the K state game. You're actually a fraud. Like da-da-da. like I really think they showed me something this year. And I'm very excited for another year of Luther burden Cause he's, in, this is year two for him, right? Like he was a you freshman two. last year. Yep. Right. So it's like, they're going to have who knows what's going to happen after Brady cook. That guy's been playing since bush, but, <laughs> but no, we'll see what,
0: he's still got eligibility left. Trust me. Everybody has eligibility left all the time. Well, that's, Remember, 2020, it threw everything all over the place. Now, I don't know. I I don't think his NFL stock will be at the place where he wants to leave a year of eligibility on the table. I can't say that with absolute certainty. Who knows? Lives change when you beat a big-time team like this on the road. And if that's what's in the cards for him, who knows what the Brady Cook story has in store. But, yes, he still has another year of eligibility.
1: You know, that saying that, you know, let's, uh, that's a future conversation. That's a really good point. I, I'm just enjoying the team that's here now and, and happy about their future. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, if they were to find a way to be, that, that's the thing that's so unfortunate about this game is it's so clearly not a trap game. Like last year they played – well, against Georgia, they played really well against Georgia, but it was a game that Georgia didn't really you know, see coming or whatever. And so this year, it's like, no, you're like you, the eyes of the world are on you right now. Like, this is your moment. And historically, Missouri has just kind of been, you know, a little bit, a little bit chonky in that moment. So like I said, this is a good building block here, but you don't want a championship in one year being confident. Like you see, Hate to keep talking about LSU. See what LSU did in 2018. kinda of like one of these years, right? So can you get everything together? Can you get these NIL recruits? Can you get them actually believing in like hitting the one one drum beat? So yeah, I think there's gonna be a good measuring stick game. But like you said, if they lose and they get blown out, just like every other team has against Georgia. I mean, Georgia won a national championship 65-7. Like, it's really
0: not that bad. Yeah, there are uh, worse things to be said about you than yes, I got killed by Georgia. Join the club if that happens right. to Mizzou. The night game on CBS, number 14, LSU, number eight, Alabama. Bama's a three-point favorite in Tuscaloosa. The over-under I have is 298 scrimmage yards for Jaden Daniels. Will, mm-hmm. uh, that is what Jordan Jefferson had combined in those two victories he had against Alabama in 2010 and 2011. Why do I bring that you up? Why this to me?
2: <laughs> Why do I bring that up?
0: Jordan Jefferson – is the only starting quarterback who recorded consecutive victories against Alabama during the Saban era. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss, last team with consecutive victories against Alabama, but that was Bo Wallace, a quarterback in 2014, Swag Kelly, a quarterback in 2015. Jaden has a chance to join that group with Jordan Jefferson, a group of one. And obviously he can overtake him statistically because that's why I brought up the 298 scrimmage yards. Right. Jaden can become the biggest Alabama kryptonite at the quarterback position of the Saban era. That is not something I thought we'd be saying about him. Mm -hmm. um, When he transferred from Arizona state to LSU. that's definitely not. Okay. I thought there were a lot more candidates for this. And then I kind of went back and I'm like, you know what? It's really just kind of an argument of two Alabama kryptonite at quarterback Manziel, I think has a case to be made, but. They weren't able to win that game in, in the rematch in 2013 because their defense was basura. Deshaun right. Watson, two great performances in championship games against Alabama. I would say Deshaun Watson probably owns that title. I, I think he is probably the best argument for uh, best quarterback. Say, I ever. I think
1: Watson is probably like considering that the way that they made that happen, I think Watson's the, the the reigning, you know. Definitely. Yeah.
0: But like there have been a lot of great one-offs because Steven Garcia, oh, yeah, Cardell Jones. Nick Marshall, Zach Calzada. How about that one?
1: Either of the two Ole Miss quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Both of them sets in and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, there, there have been those one-offs, but if, if Jaden Daniels is going to become a legend, we're going to know by night's end. And to me, this would be a legendary feat to do something like this. And because of the Heisman conversation that he can put himself into, we will get to more of that with bear Felica but he can jump into a truly elite class with a win in Tuscaloosa last year's performance. I thought it wasn't perfect, but he was brilliant with the game on the line. Everybody remembers the scramble that he had. Was there a block in the back? Was there not? It wasn't called whatever the two point conversion, the timing of that throw too to Mason Taylor, man, I went back and watched that. I'm like, God, I didn't give that enough credit at the time because where he's running where, t- where Mason Taylor was running on that play. Who's pretty much, and I know it's in the flat, it's a high percentage throw, but you have one window to make that throw before that defender collapses and he realizes what's happening. And you have one chance where if you hit that throw too early, he's getting tackled before the end zone. If you hit that too late, it's incomplete. Like that, mm-hmm. he hit that at exactly the right window. And the play call on, in that spot and the trust that they put in him, it was okay if it's not there improvise and you're going to have to run and try and make something happen. And it didn't come to that. He hit the play that was called. And to me, plays like that have defined Jane Daniels and who he has become as a quarterback since arriving in Baton Rouge. And I think it, it is a testament to him that he has been so willing to trust this staff. And we have seen what that has yielded for this great LSU offense to play in Tuscaloosa and win. You have to play perfect football. Quinn Ewers played perfect football. He did. If you are winning this matchup, it is being that good. Because Mm -hmm. also, the flip side of that is LSU with a banged up defense. LSU could be that bad on that side of the ball. Oh, yeah.
1: They are that bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if this is a game that you're looking up and winning 27 to 24. uh, You might truly feel like, oh, crap. If we don't come away with a touchdown on this drive, we are in trouble and we could lose this game. I I think that is very much on the table because ah, despite what we saw against Auburn and Army, I am not willing to say that this LSU defense has definitively turned the corner. Can't do that. I do think it's fair to say that if Matt House doesn't have Harold Perkins, I don't know, like give him like at least. 12 to 15 opportunities to rush the passer with this woeful Alabama offensive line. I think it's fair to say that Matt house should maybe walk back to Baton Rouge with a sign that reads, I beefed up. I beefed up. (laughs) Yeah, that's all. Are we all beef up? You would beef up in a more significant way. Uh, If LSU is going to play this game on its heels, defensively, Alabama is going to spend too much time on the field. I think this ground game with Jason McClellan will get going. And, This LSU offense that has been so fun to watch, I think it's going to have a little bit of a tougher time establishing a rhythm on the road, and maybe they get a little bit too antsy, take too many chances in some of these spots, which is not something we often say about LSU and about Jaden Daniels specifically because of how rarely he turns the ball over. But I do worry about that a little bit for them. Maybe not having Makai Wingo, who's out for the year, major, major major bummer. Guy who's just been, oh, never leaves the field. He's always there. So yep, durable, yep, 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 yep. like one one of those guys that man, we will probably not give him the shine that he deserves if LSU becomes a yearly championship contender under Brian Kelly. But one of those guys that he's like, man, he was so important to establishing what we were trying to do, and defensively with how inconsistent they've been this year, he's obviously been a big part of that. But not been as good when he has not been at, when he's not been at one hundred percent. But maybe Matt House will look at that and he'll say. We got a blitz like it's going out of style. <laughs> maybe not like you're not sending seven every time, but maybe at least five every time that Milrow drops back. I don't know. You, you can spy Milrow with Perkins too. And maybe that's the, the plan. Cause you're not just going to turn your back in man coverage and let Jalen Milrow uh, with a, a three or a four man rush, just, just oh boom. Like you're just asking for third and 12 to be converted on you. If you do that, one would think this matchup is begging for LSU to have some zone coverage in hopes that that alone will force a turnover or two. I don't know. I well, I went back and forth on this the last two weeks. I really have up until like today. When we're sitting down right now and we're recording this. I'm like, God, can I go the other way? I I don't feel great about this pick, but here we go. Alabama wins forty two to thirty five, okay. and it does so because this offense. Has finally figured out when it's at its best. And I think Jaden plays extremely well, but I wondered if he, I, I do find myself wondering if he gets hurried into a few too many sacks and Alabama does just enough defensively, just enough to be able to win at home. It wouldn't surprise me if this is yet another game in which Bama's trailing at halftime, already done it four times, why not make it five? But I am reluctantly saying, despite what I said in the preseason about this game, I think Alabama will not lose at home for the second time this season. Bama survives a thriller in the grudge match. So, uh, grudge, no, we'll call it a rematch. We're just going to call it a rematch. Not a true grudge match.
1: Yep. Um, so I was <laughs> – so the reason why you saw lights changing on my face, I was trying to find this article that Shade Dixon did talking about uh, the snap counts for defensive backs for LSU. Um, it can't be stressed how horrible – LSU's defenses. I mean, and I literally said this before it all happened. I said, "Look, we about to play Peyton Thorn, Uncle Sam, and bye week at quarterback." All right, those are not. That's not Uncle Sam. what Jalen Milrow is. It don't matter who they have. A Patriot. It wasn't like they have a Heisman winning quarterback at. Thank Army, you for right? your
0: service. Thank you for your service, Army quarterback. Uh, you are Uncle Sam for this podcast today.
1: Literally, like whatever. It's not a passing standard, you know what I'm saying? So point being, this LSU defense did not get better. And matter of fact, they got worse because you started this bad, the season of bad defense where you got blown out in the second half by FSU um, and with Deuce Chestnut, with Denver Harris somehow. They got that guy in a football roster in a locker room, not smoking weed for three weeks. That was awesome. Um, and then we got, uh, you know, Zy Alexander who was pretty good. Uh, Alexander would be a good Third corner on a good LSU defense. He's I think well. that guy's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, he's played solid. Um, and so they didn't get out of base defense. Schematically, they had problems. Uh, talent-wise, they had problems. Those guys are all gone. I mean, they're not going to play. We don't know the whereabouts of Deuce Chestnut right now. Every time they ask Brian Kelly, where's Deuce Chestnut? He's just like, he's not with the team. Same thing with Denver Harris. He's probably at home, I don't know, doing whatever he does, but he's just disappeared. Like, these guys are, it's not that they're hurt. Like, Zy Alexander wants to play. These guys are just doing their thing. The Greg
0: um, Brooks thing, too. I mean, him being out oh, for I mean, season, yeah. obviously a tragic situation. But, like, that, that that's a guy, They man, they desperately could use somebody like him right now.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's the crazy thing. You start the season with Greg Brooks. He has this insane cancer story. You have J.K. Johnson, who's like out for the year in spring camp. So you have a bad defense that is now, I mean, Sage Ryan's playing cornerback. Sage Ryan couldn't play safety on this team. And we recorded, we recruited him to play safety. To your point about Makai Wingo, Makai Wingo led all defensive players in snap count last season. When Mason Smith went down, I thought our season was over because I thought he was going to be our best defensive player. Guess what happens? Harold Perkins happened and Makai Wingo happened. And that dude, ball like I had had, that it's one of my favorite LSU players that I've seen because he well I think he led all defensive tackles I think he led all in in
0: um in interior defensive linemen in snaps last year like that is yeah that is not an easy thing to do like that that is durable I mean something that that LSU really needed like they, they don't win the west without him being that every down type player in a post Mason Smith world
1: Yes, I completely agree. And Mason Smith, you know, great freshman season, physical freak. Looked a little bit slow this year, just to be honest. Looked a little bit, you know, not the guy that we thought we were going to get. But that's what happens when you have this terrible injury that you got to come back from. You know, a guy that probably has an NFL future, there's so much going on. I'm not really going to blame him, but he just hasn't been what we thought he would be. So it's not like, oh, we still got him. I say all that to say what we're not going to do on Sunday morning is come on here after Jalen Milrow has 300 passing yards and three touchdowns and go, this is a statement game for Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow played amazing. This is a sunbelt defense. This is not an SEC defense. This is exactly what I said about Mississippi State, What I'd say if they played Vanderbilt. This is a horrible, horrible defense. Like, it cannot be overstated. That being said, on the other side of the ball, we have Jaden Daniels. And I don't worry about Jaden Daniels getting scared on the road. I don't. I think that he's already beaten Alabama. Here's the crazy thing. This will be scared of. They just play him to be one and one against Jaden Daniels. There's already going to be that Mason, that uh, Mason Taylor throw. You can't erase that from history. So at the end of the day, the whole like, oh, like a quarterback needs to march into Bryant Denny Stadium and beat Nick Saban. This is a game. I don't think that's true. I think that quarterback's on this team. He's already done it. He's already beat him at home. you know. And the team with Bryce Young and Will Anderson, a better Alabama team, a clearly better Alabama team is the one he beat last year. I don't think that says anything about Jaden Daniels. I think this defense is so bad that if we look up in Burton as 230 and three tutties again, it's so possible. Because these DBs are so much worse than the ones at a and And one thing about uh, Milrow is that he will uncork one. And one thing about LSU is they had 19-year-olds back there. So on one side of the ball, you one side of it, we've seen these stories over and over and over again of LSU players coming up and saying, okay, we're freshmen. Tyron Matthew, these guys are the up, popped up out of nowhere. Harold Perkins last year, oh, my gosh, you're going to save the day. We're counting on four of those guys right now. Toviano, Stamps, those guys, to all play great to win this game. But that being said – I still feel like I trust Jaden Daniels every single time this season. That I thought to myself, okay, you know, we're we have to win this one outside of the half against FSU. It was a completely different team. You know, the the Ole Miss game the defense was so horrible and figured it out. I don't think Jalen Middle was even Jackson Dart. I don't think he's a guy that can go through his reads and find the open coverage. I think that Jaden Daniels has proven enough that I can't pick against him at this point in the season, no matter how atrocious. This defense is, and maybe if he comes out there and throws three picks and he plays like crap, I get it. I'm wrong. But what this isn't is a battle of quarterbacks. This isn't, oh, Jaden Daniels is going to have to do X, Y, and Z to win. Jaden Daniels can score 50 in this game. He's already lost the game where he scored almost 50. So that's, that's my thing in this game is that I'm not as, I, I think that some of the Alabama looks defense or Alabama defense looks amazing. We've seen the teams after that and before that, and it's not like these teams have been amazing outside of the Alabama game. Tennessee puked on their shoes. Why we well, have seen that for 15 years. AM can't play offense. I don't really think that there's a quarterback. I mean, Jaden Daniels is pretty clearly the best quarterback. Uh, I don't even say best player because, you know, you can talk about Brock Bowers, guys like that. But I think he's pretty clearly the best quarterback in America, and he's already beaten Alabama. So it's not what can Jaden Daniels do to win this game? It's what can the defense do to not lose it? And yeah. playing a quarterback like Jalen Milrow, who is so – confident he he does not like take bad reps like he doesn't get down on himself he just keeps uncorking it I think that Saban is smart enough to realize what drink didn't which is like you got to keep testing these guys downfield the but I say that to say and this is going to be a very interesting and I'm going to say this game is actually I believe we're not going to be a little bit lower scoring because I think both of these teams want to shorten this game I think that Alabama doesn't want to see Jaden Daniels hmm. and I, I think that Jaden Daniels doesn't want his defense on the field. So I think that both of these teams are going to lean on Jason McCullough and Logan Diggs. I think we're going to see a little bit of that, the good plays that we always joke about. The coaches say the good plays for the big games. I think we're going to see the games where like Jaden Daniels as a runner has not been used the same way he, has, he was last year because of Logan Diggs. And that's a good thing. Like, that's, yes, that's, that is a positive
0: is, development because it means LSU can actually run the football.
1: Yes. And it also means, and you see what happened to Jaden Daniels down the stretch. He started to get injured. He started to get tired. He wasn't the same player. Now he's more rested, but I think you have two or three games a year where you go, Jaden, we need you to go out there and be our leading rusher. We need you to be that guy from last year who could get a first down like he did in the Bama game. So I think this is going to be a very interesting one. I think it's going to be, like I said, a little bit of a, a lower scoring game because even though Alabama has that big play ability, I think that in the back of their mind, they're like, we don't want to get in a shootout with this team. I don't think there's a team in America that wants to get in a shootout with LSU. We saw a miss when one, I get it. I I don't think that save trusts trust Jalen Monroe to have 35 pass attempts because some of them are going to go right to a 19 year old. And while he may still be trying to remember his chemistry homework for the night and who he's going to, you know, t- take out to dinner or whatever. He like, there are enough of these. You don't want that many Jalen Monroe chances. And we've seen that all year. So I, I'm not like I said. I'm not as worried about the Bama defense. I think this LSU offensive line has been awesome. T. Bob A. Bear said that this is the best offensive line he's seen at LSU and since his days. And all these guys are young, and so I'm I'm not as worried about that. I think that truly we are going to get some atrocious play on defense. But I think that I think we're looking at about like a. I think we're looking at a game in the 30s that LSU wins. I don't blame you for having confidence. Mm-hmm. If you Oh, I don't. In our defense. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> to be right. Clear. Okay, let me let me
0: clarify that. I don't and blame Daniel's I do. Yes. I don't blame you for having confidence that the strongest thing in this game is the guy that you have watched play quarterback and it has completed passes, has been the ultimate just keep playing guy. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that, I have a guy um that, that I used to work with um, back at back in Indiana. Uh, who was on like student newspaper with me? And nicest, one of the nicest human beings in the world. Shout out my guy Drew Allen, and Drew Allen like was big Indianapolis Colts fan. And back in the day when he would watch Andrew Luck play, he would always tweet because the Colts would always be down like 17 in the fourth quarter, and then that's when the Colts would like start to come back. Andrew Luck would play yeah. so well, and he would always tweet, "Just keep playing." And Jaden does that in a way that inspires so much confidence, and. I didn't know that he would have that type of grit. The Mizzou game is a perfect example. Of that even some of the things that he was doing down the stretch against Ole Miss, a game that they lost, I still was like, man, how can you not come away and feel good about that guy? Knowing that he's he's going to be he's going to be the person that has a huge say in whether or not you win or lose. Okay, at the most important position, like it is great to have Jaden Daniels on your side. It just is with those receivers. I think though seeing Bama's comfortability in games where it falls behind to me is the difference maker. And it's kind of why I changed for my preseason pick is like there, there has become no panic with this team. I thought that Tennessee game, everything was going against them early on. And there's like, Oh, no big deal. We're just going to, we're going to flip the script. And it doesn't mean that they are elite and that they can do that against each and every team. But I think LSU opens the door for that possibility more than um, teams at the very, very top, more than maybe a Michigan, more than even like an Oregon, where they just kind of give you that opportunity to come back in that game if you have that sense of belief, and if there's something that you can turn to. So I think LSU leads early. And I think all the things that you said validate what we're going to see to start off on Saturday night in Tuscaloosa, which would just be an incredible atmosphere. And I hope we get a great down to the wire game. That's, that's what I feel like this game is is just absolutely begging for. And I'm kind of glad that these two teams have had the seasons that they've had because of what it means for this game and how important this game obviously feels. And I'm not one of those people that says, oh, college football is better when Alabama and LSU are at their best. But when we're seeing talent like this on display and we're seeing Alabama kind of figure things out and be dangerous, it's probably more fun to feel like, oh, this is a true like 50-50 type game. What do they say? The home team in college football gets – three points at least or something like that in the spread. Yep. So like, yeah, Bama's a three point favorite. So kind of feels like a true coin flip type game. And if LSU wins, it's not going to be a stunning thing. It wouldn't be some like groundbreaking. Oh my God, this feels like a true upset, but I do think it would mean so many things for Jaden Daniels and his legacy at LSU. And so many things for Brian Kelly, you're wanting your two mm-hmm. to beat Nick Saban. That would be, Man, that would, be, uh, that would put him into a different category. But it would be a rough post game for the anti Brian Kelly crowd that just loves to dunk on him at every single turn and look up those buyout numbers, which doesn't make any sense.
1: Uh, I'll say this really quick, too. Um, what you've just set this up for, which I think is very true, is like, hopefully, this will be a close game throughout the fourth quarter because both of these quarterbacks have seen, I mean, we saw LSU go down, you know, two or three touchdowns against Ole Miss, Mizzou. We've seen these great drives that Jayden Daniels has led, even in the FSU game where, I mean, Mason, um, Mason Taylor, I've never seen a greater redemption arc within the context of one season than Mason Taylor missing that block on the PAT that lost the FSU game yep. and then catching the two-point conversion mm-hmm. against Alabama. So I think, um, you know, those two quarterbacks is like, you know, one and two probably in America who you would want. Okay, boom, you're down seven points in the fourth quarter. You need to go down there and win this game because that's what Millbro is good at. You're right about that. I think Jaden has some of that in him. So, yeah, I think, like, it. I hate to say whoever gets the ball first because that feels a little bit disrespectful to Alabama's defense. But at the same time, like, I, I just believe that in, you know, Jaden Daniels with, you know, like I said, he comes – back against Mizzou and he's can't walk and he's leading two touchdown drives. So like, I I'm actually really fired up for this one and specifically the fourth quarter. And like I said, Bama could win big, like whatever I picked LSU or I picked Bama last year. Cause I was scared of Will Anderson and Bryce Young. I just, if, if Jaden proved me wrong last year, they don't have those guys on this team. Um, So I maybe, maybe this is the one that they finally, and like I said, if they beat LSU big, the story is going to be Jalen Mill figured it out. And I still think, Whoever wins this game is going to have a rough test against Georgia. (laughs) I do too. I definitely do too.
0: All right, lock of the week, Will. We are Mm -hmm. at 6-3. and How about that? I knew my faith in Arizona was justified. Won that game outright. I am addicted to Noah Fafita. I really am. When it's late at night, I'm just jonesing for some more Noah Fafita. I Mm -hmm. really am. But I am going to stay away from Arizona this week because they've got UCLA at home. That Bruins defense is nasty. Really, really good. I don't love what what Arizona's getting, only two and a half points, so I'm going to stay away from that. Lock of the week was locked in as soon as Tyler from Spartanburg hung up the phone. (laughs) Clemson is getting three points at home against Notre Dame. And we can debate Davos' five-minute Old Testament rant in which he defended himself. And while he said a lot of very fair things about what he's done to get to this point. I still think it says a lot that he's that exhausted with the Clemson fan base right now. And that's maybe a different discussion for a different time. But as for this game, I think his team kind of needed that. I do. I think his team needed to see their coach stand up and show some of that fire. My gut is saying Clemson is due to win one of these thrillers. And I know they, they got blown out against Duke a game where they couldn't do anything in the red zone. And then Duke just ran away with it late and just stomped them in the fourth quarter. But there are three losses since then OT against Florida state double OT at Miami, which look uh, Shipley probably should have gotten the ball in that play. Definitely should have gotten the ball in that play. And then they lost by a touchdown at NC state in a game where they were down 24 to seven entering the fourth quarter. And they had the ball in NC state territory with a minute 15 left and a chance to tie or even win that game if they wanted to go for two. Probably didn't want to go for two after the way things went against Miami, but you get what I'm saying. I don't think Clemson has thrown in in the towel as much as some might think because they're 4-4. and I will gladly take the three points for Clemson at home against the Irish. Big week for Dabo and Clemson. Stock way up. Who would have thought?
1: Yeah, this is... (laughs) You were talking about, uh, you know, let's not say Mizzou or frauds after this. This is a big-time fraud watch game because whoever loses this game, especially if it's bad, the fan base is going to be like, hi, buddy. (laughs) Clemson being
0: below 500 is on the table if they lose this game. Do we really think Clemson is going to be below 500, do we?
1: This is going to be much-watch TV, you know, or must-watch TV. This will definitely be one of the the games, you know, despite all the great SEC action. But, yeah, I I see the vision. I see, yeah, that was got that little bit of juice left in him. I think
0: Clemson comes out firing and they can thank Tyler from Spartanburg for that. Let's get into yeah. our interviews. Had a couple of slight audio hiccups with Matt Liner early. So apologies for that. Be patient. That's just in the first couple of minutes and then we get things figured out. So um, do not worry about that. Great stuff with him. And then bear Felica joined us to talk about a bunch of gambling things ahead of the final month of the regular season. So first Matt, then bear. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is USC legend and current Fox Sports college football analyst, Matt Leinart. Uh, Matt is here on behalf of Coke Zero Sugar. Matt, you have the nation's first F.I.L. deal or <laughs> fan image and likeness. You're trying to find the best fan ever, which that's a, a crazy endeavor to think about. I want you to tell us about that. And also, are you eligible for this to be the best Kansas fan ever after picking up <laughs> and beat Oklahoma last week?
3: Okay, well, let me let me answer the first part of that first. So yeah, so I have teamed up with Coke Zero Sugar. And um, it's been awesome, because as you know, college football is all about the fan. I think it's what makes our sport the best. It makes it the most unique tailgating loudest fans fan bases, you're, you're essentially born in some of these places that we get to go to, you're born into it, you know, so all you can do is love your school and Um, I think Coke Zero Sugar is the best drink ever, and they're trying to find the best fan ever. So we've teamed up, we've been on the road together, we've found great fans on the road, and you mentioned kind of the FIL, the FIL, the fan image and likeness kind of award at the end to the nation's top fan, which is going to be challenging to find, but it's going to be, they're going to win 20 grand in stipend money to go to games next year. Um, plus other stuff, so a really fun and really cool campaign, um, and fans are what it's all about, man. That's that's what makes this sport so cool. So I think Coke Zero Sugar, it's just been awesome to to be a part of this. Okay, let's get. And the then ads. the second part, the oh yeah, <laughs> the Kansas thing. Um, yeah, you know what? it's it's interesting because uh, I'm sure you know I, Oklahoma fans don't really like me that much, you know. Since since Lincoln came to USC for some reason, it's it's my fault or it's SC's fault. Uh, so I've had some fun banter with them over the last couple of years. Um, but being at that game and then on all, all kidding aside, like I, I have so much respect for Brent Medables, Dylan Gabriel. I mean, like like the job he's done in year two, it's been remarkable. Um, but I did pick Kansas to win that game. I was the only one up on the desk with the guys to pick and, um, the love from Kansas has been pretty cool after man. They've, they were, uh, they were excited. We were there. We were excited to be there and, uh, rock chalk Jayhawk, man.
0: <laughs> so Caleb Williams, what have you made of his, his season so far?
3: Yeah. I mean, look, he's, he is one, he's as good as they come. Um, he I've said that, and I know there's been a couple games here and there that, uh, if you want to say he struggled, um, but he is as as good as there is. And I think the problem that I've seen with USC at times, one, the defense has is, is, is not been great. We all know that. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, pressure on him to have to be Superman every single play. And no matter how good you are, at some point when you play really good teams and you play good defense that it might have an answer for some of the stuff that you can do – Um, you know, you're going to struggle at times. And Caleb struggling is still a really good game for other players, you know, but... So that's what I've seen. Like, I think think USC is still in a building process, you know, to be honest with you. They just happen to have one of the best players, if not the best college quarterback prospect we've seen ever, maybe, or in a long, long time. So um, I think he's handled it all really well. He's a team-first guy. Um, They still have everything in front of them. You know, they just don't have any room for air, uh, moving forward.
0: Okay. If you were filling out your, your Heisman ballot today, what would, who would your front runner be?
3: That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I I think Jaden Daniels might be, might be my front runner. Um, and I know they have two losses and they got a big one this weekend and, you know, I think they have to win out, but, the 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 pace that he's on because you go back to Joe Burrow's here a couple years ago it was one of the best statistical years one of the best offenses all those things we've ever seen Jaden Daniels is right there on par and he he's on pace with Burrow his numbers I think he might get it I think JJ McCarthy is a guy who's just kind of waiting for those opportunities and then all of a sudden boom he's gonna he he's gonna take home that trophy. So I think those two are the front runners. Um, Marvin Harris Jr. Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. Excuse me is there, and then kind of that cluster of guys of Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix and Jordan Travis, like Dylan Gabriel. They all have still opportunities here at the end of the year to kind of get back in it. But I'll tell you what, I think Jane Daniels, man. If they if they win, if they get to an SEC championship game, my bet would be on him.
0: Matt, I want to give you a comp that I, I'm guaranteeing you've never heard this before, but I, I want you to tell me if it's accurate. So Ben and Jerry's is to grocery store ice cream as Matt Leinart is to USC quarterbacks. I, let me explain. There, there are good options for grocery store ice cream, but you trick yourself into thinking that they can be just as good as Ben and Jerry's because they're in the same place. There have been good, even great quarterbacks at USC, and current the, the one who's currently there in Caleb Williams, But because of you, there's this assumption that every great quarterback will be movie star famous and win national titles. You are Ben and Jerry's, my opinion.
3: Um, I appreciate that because I like Ben and Jerry's. Um, yeah, I mean, it's look, it's it's uh there's a lot of expectation and pressure to play quarterback at USC. There there just there has been. And that was set kind of before me. Um, you know, I played with Carson Palmer, who set the bar really high uh, during that era. Um, And then it just so happened that we were, you know, kind of a part of an incredible run, L.A., Hollywood, all of those things. So um, I think Caleb is pretty special, as you said. I think he's handled it very, very well Um, and even kind of more than what we were able to do because he has NIL and he's got all these other things, you know, like it's just a different world. It's crazy. So uh, but I like that, man. I appreciate that. I'm I'm a Ben and Jerry's guy.
0: Who does like Ben and Jerry's I mean? Obviously, come on, it's it's the guy. Go <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I, I was gonna I, I think that you've probably heard like a lot of people ask you about you know the Bush push and all that stuff. So I wasn't really gonna dig into that, although I do have some very distinct memories being at the house of Tommy Zabikowski's family friends watching that game because he went to my high school. Um, and we're all like Notre Dame fans at the time. But I you probably get asked a lot for like Reggie stories. Do you have a Lendell White story that sticks out?
3: Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, not, Oh, well, well, one, I'll say this. Um, one of my favorite teammates of all time, I I've said it and I'll I'll continue to say it again, that dude, and I just saw him at the SC Notre Dame game a couple weeks ago. Um, we could not see each other for 10 years and then we see each other and it is like yesterday in the locker room. Like, I, I just love the guy. Um, so much love and respect for him. And, was a complete baller. Uh, I, I tell this story. He, the year we won the title against Oklahoma, um, he, he, uh, he, I don't know if he had a sprained ankle. He was kind of nursing something. I think he was, you know, he was nursing something. He just, you know, he 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 would come and practice kind of when he wanted. You know, he's kind of one of those and he wouldn't be mad at me for saying that, but we were getting ready to play OU in the national championship game and this dude didn't practice all bowl season, like three weeks. He, weighed about 255 no joke and lindell's like 6'2 two, two, like lindell's a big big cat man he's 6'2 six 6'2 two, six two and a half was always thick could run but all of december he is just you know doing whatever he's doing he's not practicing he's getting healthy we needed him obviously he shows up at that game i remember he weighed at like 255 or 256 and this guy ran for like a buck 40 like, looked like he was running a 4-3. And I'm just – and I remember saying something like, only you could pull that off, dude. Like, only you could pull something like that off, not practice for a month, play in the national title game, weigh 20 pounds overweight, and just ball. So, that was kind of Lindell, man. He kind of just – he was a, kind of a free spirit, kind of marched to his own drum. But I'll tell you what, man, when when the lights turned on, that dude was one of the best football players I've ever played with. He was one of the best teammates I've ever played with.
0: Must be nice to be able to roll out of bed and and do something like that. Just um, I was,
3: dude. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I was like, "This, it's just, it was incredible."
0: I want to get you out of here with some rapid fire. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind is that work. Yep. All right. You're a Morgan Wallen guy. What's your favorite Morgan Wallen song? Last night. All right. We'll agree to disagree. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Okay. True true or false brady quinn has had jaw implants at one point
3: <laughs> uh that's false even though he does have a very strong jaw it's false okay.
0: tony kornheiser famously said that you always look like you're trying to grow a beard that day when was the last time that you were clean shaven
3: that's a good question when did tony kornheiser say that um like oh five i think i remember watching pti back in the day yeah you know, not not to put a damper on this interview, but my mom passed away like six years ago. And I I clean shave for her funeral because she liked me clean shaven. So one, thank you, because I get to talk about my mom. But two, I think that was the last time. And that's probably the one time I've done that since probably NFL interviews coming out of college in 06. Like I just, it's just not my thing. I look awful with a clean shaven face.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, that's that's okay. That's a good reason to do that. Now I feel bad for asking that. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. don't
3: feel bad. It's all good.
0: <laughs> True or false? You had the editors cut you out of that scene in season two of Laguna Beach when Kristen was on the phone with her then boyfriend, which was you?
3: Uh, That is actually false because I didn't know who the editors or producers were at that time. And um, looking back... I had no idea that even happened until like after the season and I didn't really watch the show that much. So that's a good question. Yeah. Okay. But no, not, nothing. I had nothing to do with that.
0: Last one. You, you understand the grind of a three peat if you had to bet all of your Coke zero sugar that you have in your house, I imagine just closets full right now. If you had to bet it all on a prediction, would you say that Georgia will or won't three P?
3: Uh, I will say they won't. Um I, I I just I I think they're they're fan, they're really good again this year. I just think there's so much more parity this year. They aren't as dominant as they've been. I just feel like someone's gonna take over that crown.
0: Perfectly fair, uh, Matt. Really appreciate the time. Good luck uh, finding the best fan ever with Coke Zero Sugar and everything you got. Everything else that you got going on. Love Big Noon. Love all the stuff that you got going on with Wendy's and a million other things that I'm sure we can get into.
3: Awesome, man. Thanks for having me, dude. I, I'm sorry about the uh, technical difficulties too, but appreciate you though.
0: All good. Appreciate it, man.
3: All right, man. See you, bud.
0: Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Chris Bear Felica. Uh, Bear, I want to get into how your year with Fox is going, talk some gambling with you, of course, as we always do. Everyone go listen to Bear Bets with you, Jeff Schwartz. But I got to ask, have you finished The Office since we last talked a couple of months ago? Because I think no. you're in the middle of season five.
2: No, have not. I, okay. I failed on my homework assignment. I'm sorry.
0: You know what? You're good. You're good because I there is part of me that wants to just live in that season three through season five world. Okay. And, and it's, it's a great place to be because there, there is a lot of talk about – Nobody says the office gets better post season five. I think season seven has some great moments that you will eventually get to, I think. And I've already kind of given you the spiel on eight and nine, but that's not the worst place to be. So I'll I'll let you off the hook for that. I I don't think that's the worst. Yeah.
2: We're in the, we're in the middle of the season. You know, you know how it goes. Time is, time is precious at this point of the year. And maybe you catch up on a little, little sleep every now and then, or you're, you're looking at these college football playoff rankings a little bit too much and trying to make a, uh, a mountain of a molehill and stir stuff up, but yeah, I, I, I got a sh- I got shoulder surgery coming up in December, so I, I think I think I'm gonna have plenty of time to uh, to zip through some of these shows that I've missed out on in the last couple of years and, and catch up on some things. Being that I won't be able to do much else.
0: Shoulder surgery is that one of those things that you put off for a really long time, yes. and then you just decided yeah. now is the time.
2: Yes, it's exactly what I did. Like for the last like, gosh, I guess it's been like seven years or so. My my left shoulder has been shot and uh, finally the 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 cortisone shots have worn off and had very little effect and yeah i went for the i went for the scan to see how it was uh the, the diagnosis was and he was like yeah. any any time the first couple of words of the scanner severe osteoarthritis of the humor i'm like yeah the doctor's like yeah yeah you're ready it's time so yeah i gotta have shoulder replacement
0: Okay. So when, when that time comes and like you said, you'll be binge watching some shows, let's, let's tie it into some college football. Well, that's, that's what we'll do. I was trying to think if there is a Stanley Hudson team in college football, you said last time, if there was a character in the office, that's who you'd be like the, the team where they mind their own business better record than what you'd think. Stanley stales record is impeccable. You like, you know, you get the occasional, high moments from them, Uh, did I stutter, if you will. I think Oklahoma State is that team. Mike Gundy, I'm a man, I'm 40, was his did I stutter moment. And like Stanley, Gundy will sound off if he feels like he's being slighted. Also, Mike Gundy flirts with other jobs, even though he's not going anywhere. (laughs) Stanley flirted with Utica, even though he just wanted more money. What what do you think of that
2: comp? That is a perfect analogy and exactly. Where I was going with this every year, it seems like Gundy, Gundy just pulls it together. He makes chicken salad out of you know what. Oh, you lose this quarterback, you lose this wide receiver, you lose, lose this running back. You change defensive coordinators. Change it. Oh, this, this won't be the year. And every year you look up and he's winning eight, nine games, and here they are again, ranked like when they when they got blown out at home by South Alabama, and then they follow it up with a loss to Iowa State. Like, I would have thought their season was was headed. You don't know who your quarterback is. You're playing three guys. And now they kind of figure st- things out. They've won three straight games as a dog, uh, blew out Cincinnati in the second half last week. Like, th- this is a dangerous, dangerous game, I think, for Oklahoma this week, especially coming off of the loss in Kansas. And you look at some of their underlying numbers, like the, like, like some of the yard-per-play metrics that, that are that are out there. They're not as good as that 7-1 record might indicate. They probably should have lost to UCF at home, The uh, or should, should have, very easily could have lost to UCF at home. UCF, oh, by the way, who has not won a Big 12 game, would not surprise me at all to see the uh, to use of the, the, the poor pun, the little brother in state, which is kind of how OEU I think, views them at times. Would not surprise me at all in the final scheduled addition uh, to Bedlam if, uh, if Oak State wind up pulling that upset off.
0: Yeah, Big 12 is all over the place. Five teams that are 4-1 in conference play, by no means guarantee. Iowa
2: State. How is Iowa State 4-1 in conference? It's amazing. Again, another team that you couldn't get a first down against. You turn the ball over. Again, stumble on over the place in all these toss-up games. And here you are. You're right in the mix of things and maybe getting it somehow. Why didn't you you find yourself again in the uh, chance of going to the Big 12 title game?
0: Yeah, it feels like if there's a conference where chaos is going to unfold, it's probably the Big 12 with the way the final month kind of sets up with all those, a lot of those teams playing each other could be Mm -hmm. some more craziness. Okay, explain this to me because you get this world better than I do. It feels like J.J. McCarthy as a Heisman favorite, depending on where you look, because it's not in all places. There are a lot of places where Michael Penix is still considered the Heisman favorite, but it, it feels like it is based more so on the oddsmakers trying to get ahead of a backloaded schedule because if the season ended today, there is just no world in which a guy who hasn't right. had to throw more than 30 passes in a game, who's only beaten Rutgers in Minnesota, is getting the nod. To me, if you're in on J.J. McCarthy winning the Heisman, from an odds perspective, the time has kind of passed if he is your guy. How do you see that?
2: I I got the We were sitting in South Bend a couple of weeks ago for Big Dune Kickoff, and it was miserable weather. Fans were awesome hanging out there in the rain and, and cold. And I'm I'm sitting out there in, in, in the show like I was you know, I'm thumbing through odds and lines. And I had got on the podcast here on the week. I was like, you know, I don't have any real – strong feels or any stance right now in the Heisman other than a preseason flyer on Connor Wigman. And so I'm going through and I'm looking at the schedules and I'm like, there are two guys are going to wind up playing, I played JJ McCarthy at 25 to one, basically for that particular reason he's good. And this is before the the cheating and the sign ceiling scandal really uh, took off I'm like potentially the quarterback of the undefeated team, my my opinion all along was Caleb Williams was not going to win a second straight Heisman, and that's probably going to happen. And the other guy I got on was Jaden Daniels at around forty to one or so, like like that. Like I said his numbers are just as good, if not better, than Michael Penix. If they go to Alabama and win, and they wind up in, in the SEC championship game, uh, you might be looking at it, at, at a year like two thousand and seven with Tebow, where the Gators were nine and three. His numbers were just that much better than everyone else. And he wound up winning. Like, if LSU goes to Alabama this week and wins, it would not surprise me to see Jaden Daniels become uh, the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. I'd like to get your opinion on this because I threw this out uh, with Jeff and Will Hill and Sammy P on the pod last week, and I kind of threw it out there on on Twitter yesterday as well. Like, do you think – again, I am not a Heisman voter. I don't know if you are. Like, do you think some of these these Heisman voters out there – might hold a little if you're a former player or former coach like or a media member maybe there might be a little bit of a grudge against Michigan do do you hold it against the player like yeah well makes it a little bit easier if he knows what defense these guys are going to be lining up like I I just and again I couldn't believe uh what Book Oregon was saying last night about how oh are we? I was exactly we directed them football like if you're a coach on that committee and you know a team is Is blatantly cheating like that's not going to affect your opinion of the team. Like I I am still really curious how this is ultimately going to play out. I hate the whole down the road deal where uh, we're going to the NCAA or whomever will punish them a year or two from now when Harbaugh's gone and these players are gone and the coaching staff's gone. But it it feels like if if there is going to be any punishment for this, shouldn't it be now?
0: Yes, in theory. I agree with Boo from the standpoint of it's not their job to decide which report is accurate and which report is not. And that's where this is really complicated. Mm -hmm. Unless the NCAA comes out and releases some initial findings and we have lawyers who have investigated this and they've conducted the interviews and they've done their own private investigation that they can say here, college football playoff selection committee. Do with this what you will. Or alternatively, if the Big Ten were to step in and make an unprecedented move to sanction them in the midst of a potential national championship run, which I don't think is going to happen, then that changes it. That would totally change it. But barring those things happening, I don't think it's going to be held against Michigan. I also don't think it's going to be held against J.J. McCarthy from everyone. Now, I think there are some who will. I think that there are some who, look, he could finish the season 13-0-0. Uh, I think his numbers still would probably have to improve hitting that all important 40 touchdown threshold that each Heisman winning quarterback has hit since Troy Smith. He's the last one who didn't hit that threshold, but I still think that Michigan is going to have those things in front of them despite the very subjective nature of this, because this is one of one. We've never had something like this in season, but I'm fascinated. I, I like, and that's maybe part of why I'm surprised by this. These McCarthy odds is because mm-hmm. of the point that you just mentioned, like it's a very subjective award. How do you totally strip that? I, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see if that changes. If we find out more things.
2: Yeah. Cause I, I, I remember at the start, I remember people were asking, what do you think this one was throughout my, like, yeah, I mean, you, if you're stealing signs, fine. Like if you're out there and you're looking and you're writing things down, like that, that some of them, everyone does it. That, I remember in baseball, that was like part of your, part of your deal. You try and steal opposing pitching and catching signs and base running signs. And, and that would be like your job in the the dugout to kind of like write the, it's so a, like, and I was like, however, as long as you're not like videotaping things and, and like, like a, that's where the line is crossed, like the Spygate type stuff. And then apparently that's where it is. Like, at first I was like, eh, it is what it is. Kind of most teams are doing it. To now it's like, I don't think most teams are doing this. So it's like, yeah. I've kind of gone from like one one extreme. to I'm not all the way at the other end, like death penalty, kick, kick him out, no playoff, vacate wins. But, man, it, it, the evidence is pretty damning at this point.
0: Yeah, that story that you tweeted uh, from the Athletic this morning. If you haven't read that, or if you you know maybe if you don't have an Athletic subscription or whatever, try try and find a way to be able to kind of read that and see what opposing coaches are saying about this. Because as widely as accepted as sign stealing is, it is interesting to see kind of their perspective mm-hmm. on this whole thing. And who knows how it's going to impact Michigan in the season? That could be. Um, you talked about Jaden Daniels getting some action in on him. When did you get in on that that twenty five to one with him?
2: Well, that I, that was that was it. Was actually he? I got it like thirty three or forty. It was that was uh, the week of USC Notre Dame, which would have been what October twenty uh, first. Is that when that game was? was
0: yeah. It? So that was, so was then it? that would have been. Did you get that after the Mizzou game? Yeah, that would have makes it LSU yeah. at Mizzou. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, it would have been. It would have been after the Mizzou game. Yeah. Okay. You know, just, yeah. That
0: that's that's interesting because. I, I agree with you one hundred percent that he still 100 percent has that path there an lSU money line bet at Alabama this week and a Jaden Daniels future to win the Heisman I don't think you you can't like parlay those things i, I wouldn't imagine those are two kind of separate areas but it probably well, doesn't yeah, make and
2: sense. they might be they might be viewed as correlated I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to try that after we hop off this call. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because this this won't come out till uh, this won't come out until Thursday morning. So you're you're good. You'll get in before before the action. But like you're not betting those things independently. I, I would think yeah. at this point you should bet either zero of those things or both of those things. Like that that to me is is really interesting because those two things feel like they're really synonymous. It's hard to imagine a world in which Jaden Daniels balls out at Alabama and then you know is is still able to to win the Heisman. As as unfair as that probably sounds, that's kind of the margin for error for him.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's this this line is really, really low, and it's really tricky as well. Uh, if you look at Alabama being a field goal favorite at home uh, against two loss LSU, like you've got to go back to two thousand ten uh, to find an instance where Alabama has been this short uh, of a home favorite. And that that was the Auburn game where uh, they blew the big lead and Newton and the Auburn team that wound up winning the the national title uh, yeah, came back and that. And that great second half comeback. So uh, the, the odds makers, usually they err on the side of Alabama. We're going to, we're going to lay a, make it a, post a bigger number uh, knowing that maybe we'll get some money on the dog, but here it looks like they kind of want money on Alabama, that they have a lot of, a lot of respect for that LSU offense. There's not a ton of respect uh, for, for, for Alabama compared to where we've been in, in recent years. I mean, even look at that Tennessee game a couple of weeks ago, where, I mean, it, it, it took a a monumental effort by Alabama uh, in the second half to come back from that. And I don't know if they're going to be able to shut down the LSU offense to the, to the extreme that they were able to shut down Tennessee in that second half. So uh, this is one of those where the number is eerily low. It almost looks like it's LSU or pass for me. Uh, And and that's not a position I normally would take with Alabama. Usually it's like uh, in Nick Saban and we trust at home, but, but I'm not so sure here. They're are they're like they're, they're not very good in pass protection. Um, defensively, they're they're not as good as they've been in the past. Despite uh, the the game against um, Tennessee in the second half, you saw Texas uh, wide receivers and, and Ewers kind of go crazy on them. What, what's Daniels and, and neighbors and those wide receivers going to do? So, uh, you, you could make a really good case for LSU, I think, in this game.
0: I was going through the odds and, and trying to see if there was someone outside of the top 10 who could sneak in late to the Heisman picture. Maybe you know, similar to like Devontae Smith, 2020, even Manziel, 2012, before the Alabama game. I don't know that he was outside of the top 10 because he was having a really, really good year. But I, like, obviously he made that big post-Alabama surge. And I I was, I was wondering if there was someone that you have looked at maybe in the last week or so. Uh, a Heisman future, a long shot, a true long shot, just sprinkle a little bit of money just in case that kind of stands out to you that that would be worth a play.
2: Other than Daniels, and I I don't know what his price is right now, unfortunately, where I am in the state of Connecticut in the sports books that I have access to, uh, we cannot bet Heisman Trophy or college football playoff futures. Uh, Being in Connecticut, you know, the college football hotbed that uh, is UConn Husky football, a team that clearly is going to be involved in the college football playoff every year. I don't know why it is. So I don't, I can't even look at uh, Heisman odds on those sites right now. So I honestly think if you're going to play one guy right now, and I, and again, I don't know what his price is, and maybe you have uh, prices up, like Bo Nix would probably be that guy. Because I, I think there's a path where, our, where Oregon is, I believe, now the favorite to win the Pac-12. Uh, they beat SC. They go to the Pac-12 title game and win – And there, 12-1, and Uh, maybe Michigan either loses or McCarthy's numbers aren't as good. Uh, You put him up, maybe Florida State gets upset along the way. Uh, Georgia, I don't think, really has one. I still don't know if uh, Michigan beats Ohio State. That probably knocks out Marvin Harrison. I think there are a lot of dominoes that that could fall with some of these undefeated teams. And you could be looking at potentially uh, the quarterback of a one-loss team like, like Bo Nix in Oregon or the quarterback maybe of a two-loss team like LSU if they get to the SEC title game as well. So if I had to make one play right now that, on someone that I don't have covered, it would probably be Bonex. and I'm sure that number is probably a little bit shorter than I'd like it to be. Maybe around, what, 8-1 to one or so? Would that be what he might be?
0: I think it's something like that. Yeah, it's it's not particularly favorable. You're not really – like, look, this isn't probably the time to to get in on that. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I was, I was looking around. It's like, you know Jackson Dart has the Georgia game coming up. It's two. He's at two hundred to one, probably for good reason. And like you still the forty touchdown thing that I brought up earlier. He's still probably not going to hit that. He would have to really go off down the stretch here. But you're just looking for guys that would have those opportunities. Like I would be really interested in Malik Neighbors at Keon Coleman at two fifty to one, just as a tiny as a dart throw. But mm. I think both of those guys would probably need their quarterbacks to get injured to win the award, and then we'd be like, well, how good is their production going to be? Garrett Nussmeyer could be interesting, but you know, just the long shots are probably just not there. National championship odds are a little bit of a different story. Speaking of Bo Nix, Oregon at fourteen to one stands out to me. It's interesting that Oregon's at fourteen to one and Washington is only seventeen to one. Could your co-host Jeff Schwartz could he talk you into an Oregon national championship future with how good the Ducks have looked this year? Do you typically avoid that in season?
2: I was the one that had talked him into it a couple of weeks ago. I got Oregon at 35 to one. Oh, um, Yeah, uh, I guess it would have been the uh, the week we were in uh, Ohio for Ohio State, Penn State, uh, one of the sports books that you had access to out there uh, in, in that state had Oregon posted at 35 to one. So I, I, uh, I got down on that pretty quickly. Uh, again, that was a situation where coming out of the Oregon-Washington game, the way that game went, I just felt if they play again in the Pac twelve Championship game, I'm even more convinced now that Oregon would win the rematch, and uh, I still feel that way with the way Washington has kind of looked uh, the last couple of weeks. I mean, this is a team that you get an SEC an SEC team an SEC team, uh, an SEC, an SC team uh, in, in Austin. You should beat them. Uh, the Oregon State game will be a little bit tricky, uh, and, and then you're going to get. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe SC beats UW. Maybe you picks up a couple losses, and maybe you don't have a rematch. And uh, you'll certainly be favored uh, against anyone else in that league. But uh, Oregon is the team right now of all those one-loss teams. I, I think they are worth uh, even at fourteen to one. I think they're still worth the play because of, of all those teams out there. They look the most national title type ready. Like even Alabama with one loss, I'm not sure if they're sure they could win the national title, but but I'm I'm not certain they're going to beat Georgia uh, in the SEC title game. Beat, LA, beat LSU this week, beat Georgia in the in, in, in the SEC title game, and then beat two of the other teams in front of them. Oklahoma is a one loss team. No, Penn State is uh, complete shot in I think we saw the last couple of weeks. Like I think Oregon is your best option, and, and then I guess the other team that maybe. Uh, FSU Twitter will tell you is forgotten about is Florida state. Um, but again, you're, you're looking at a team that beat LSU earlier in the year. Uh, the Clemson win certainly doesn't mean anything right now. The rest of that league is so bad. Uh, are they going to find themselves in the college football playoff? And then it's a question of, are they good enough to beat two of those teams? Or are they going to be exposed against what was a, a, a softest schedule? But if you had to make a future right now, I, I would think that I'd be playing in terms of a price. I'd be playing Oregon for for sure.
0: Yeah, because Florida State has, in my opinion, the best path to the playoff right now of anybody. It's like not even close with what the ACC is kind of shaping up to be, something I talked about a little bit earlier. But it's like you look at it from that standpoint, but then you also wonder, man, it's pretty unprecedented for a team that hasn't been there to, to just get to the college ball playoff and then win a national championship a la 2019 LSU. It's just not the type of thing that typically happens. So that's, right. that, that would be probably my hold up with them.
2: And, and not only a team that hasn't been there, a team that really hasn't been together. I mean, yeah. it, this is like portal one portal 1.0 here. And and just kind of putting assembling this team together. And if it works, it, I'll tell you what, there's going to be a hell of a lot more teams uh, doing it in, in the future to do a quick, overhaul and go after these big game guys and say, hey, we, we can win a national championship together, kind of building these super teams for, for lack of a, a better word. I, I do wonder where you feel on this uh, seeing Georgia last week, finally, like when Georgia decides to play and they feel like playing and put it all together, they're still the best team, right?
0: I look, I think so. I, I think there is a really good case to be made for that. And We see what this team does without Brock Bowers. We see all these different guys in the offense step up. And that's kind of why I thought the selection committee sort of deferred to them over Michigan is, look, in their two toughest games, in theory, Kentucky team, who at the time was undefeated. Obviously, they've lost three games total now. But in that game and then in Florida game where we're like, I, I, I only picked Georgia to win that game by seven. And I came away from it being like, dang, man you still have to be so unbelievably good to beat this team. And it is just so hard to find the weaknesses, at least for a 60 minute game, because they don't panic either. It's not that, you know, 2018 Alabama, like when, and I don't know if you like had any action on, on that team or, you know, or if it was just so unbelievably lopsided that it skewed the entire market with, with betting, but, like they get to November and they haven't even played in a competitive fourth quarter. Georgia's already kind of done that. And that's kind of the thing mm-hmm. that I wonder about with them is like, man, this team has already been able to be in some of those spots. And so it won't be like what we saw in 2021, where they get to the SEC championship and Obama oh, makes them play a four quarter game. they run out of gas. They're, they're sitting on the sideline like, holy crap, our conditioning sucks. They shouldn't be like that at this point. So I think Georgia is probably still the best team, even though I have losing to Ohio State in the national championship. How do you, how do you feel about Ohio
2: State? I'm, I'm not there with Ohio State. Okay, because you know were there a couple
0: I'm, weeks ago. I, w- I wanted to get your opinion on that.
2: Yeah, I, I think that offensive line ha- has some problems, especially if they're going to go up against uh, a Michigan front or an Oregon front or uh, something, or Georgia's front for sure. Like, just Harrison's great. The defense is great. I do wonder about, A, the offenses that they played because the Big Ten is bad offensively. Uh, Penn State's offense is bad. The teams in the West are bad. And I just don't know if they – I know Kyle McCord, they won that game in South Bend and they beat Penn State. But it's just something about the play calling and just the – again, I have nothing other to base it on than that, like the vibe. I I just feel like they don't fully trust Kyle McCord – like, like when push comes to shove, and, and I don't know if that's right, wrong, fair or not, but it's certainly a much different feel, a much different looking offense uh, than it's been in previous years, whether it's been uh, with, with, with Stroud or whomever else uh, at, at quarterback. I don't know with that quarterback and offensive line if they're going to be able to go to Michigan. Now, assuming that – like. The sign stealing was this great paradigm shifter and without it, they're completely lost. I don't know if they go to, to Ann Arbor and, and, and win. Like, I, that's why I always try to, I tried to preface it all along. Like they have the best resume as of now, like no one has two better wins than Notre Dame and Penn state, but how will that look after maybe next week? If say Notre Dame goes to Clemson and loses, to one of the the worst Clemson team in in 12 years. And Penn State gets worked at home uh, by Michigan. Then those two wins kind of feel a lot less impressive. So I I picked Ohio State to win the national title before the year. So I was there. I thought that this was going to be a special year in Columbus, especially after what happened last year. I thought that would drive them. But for whatever reason, injuries, it just hasn't worked out offensively the way that I thought it would. Now it doesn't mean that it can't. But uh, I, I'd be surprised if Ohio State uh, wound up winning, winning in Ann Arbor and ultimately wound up winning the Big Ten.
0: I'm, I'm there with you from, from the standpoint of I, I picked Ohio State to win the national championship in the preseason, thought Kyle McCord would be better, thought this offense would be humming a little bit more. Again, things can happen down the stretch, but, um, yeah, you, you, you very much could look at, at at the way this could play out, and you're like, oh, well, once again, Ohio State is on the outside looking in of a Big Ten championship. Okay, I want to get you out of here uh, with a couple of things. Your former co-host, Stanford Steve, he – what's a nice way to say this? He's going through it. He's going through it. He's down a little bit bad. I want to say it's like 12 and 24 with his picks on game day. And we've talked about this before. He might be having a great gambling year, but when he's out there and this is what he is being judged by – it's what everyone goes off of, and you've had you've been in his exact position before. Yep. So, like, have you texted him, being like, "Hey, man, like, look, I I know what this is like." Have you reached out to him and just saying, "Like, oh, I saw I, 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 know saw, this him, sucks. I
2: saw him at Columbus, and it was great. It, it was great to see." And yeah, we, we text all the time. I, I kind of I haven't got, gotten gotten uh, to talk to him about his record because I know the feeling. I'm there. I'm there this year in my column as well. Like like last year in in, in the column that we did, we always tracked our picks in the column in the column on, on ESPN.com. And that's what we would cite on Stanford, and the bear. I was 45 to 24 and one, one in the column last year. And this year I'm like eight games below 500. So it's like it. it, it one year you're the bug one year, the are the, you're the windshield. It's like the things that you did last year that work doing the same things this year, but they're, they're just not working. And I had UCLA as my best bet last week. And look, look at that box score and tell me how UCLA doesn't cover that game like you i mean you get a couple two picks a fumble missed 25 yard field goal and then you get the the ultimate backdoor which you knew was coming in that game so you, you just it that that's the deal and it, and it comes with the territory i mean I, I i get it people are people get upset and like to give give us a hard time because you're out there as a face making all these picks and I, I I didn't know it was as bad as that, but I did know it was bad because I do get a lot of tweets about how game day needs the bear back. And I'm like, Oh boy, Steve must be struggling. Or some some conversation may not have gone in the direction that they, they and I'm, I'm like, Hey, I just kind of, kind of leave it at that. Come on over and watch us on big noon. If you, if you're looking for me and my picks and what I'm going to be saying in conversation, but yeah. And now, now I, now I do need to give a, reach out to Steve and give him a nice little big virtual hug and uh and and cheer him up some
0: um it's it might not be exactly 12 and 24 but it's it's pretty close to that I mean it it has just been not his year so along those lines for for Stanford Steve for anybody that's going through a a drought in, in college football gambling and they just for whatever reason every pick just goes against their way is there a get right move almost like how in baseball when you're 0 for your last 10 with eight strikeouts, you just drop a <laughs> bunt on the third baseline just to see the bat make contact. Again. Is there a college football gambling equivalent, maybe just a really favorable money line or something like that, that you take that just to get out of that slump, just to see one, one that go right to make yourself feel better.
2: Yeah. I, I think for me, what, what it's been in the past was kind of going to teams that, I've kind of had a lot of success with and a, and a good read on in the past. I remember a couple of years, like Iowa State was my team uh, a couple of years ago in, in, in the COVID year where they where they wound up getting to the Big Twelve title game, and uh, they have typically been very, very good uh, against the number f- for me. Um, I, I think looking at kind of and being a little bit contrarian and just kind of looking at games and, and picks where we kind of joked about the uh, like like on game day I forget what week it was where they had the uh, the, the five across uh, on the board where like where it's like the obvious like in a, like a and like a field goal or a four point or a touchdown or a less type game like everybody's on the same side like you might want to look at maybe going on the other side of that, but I'm not one who's going to be like, oh Alabama's playing uh, lSU this week. I really like LSU, but you know what? I'm going so cold. I'm going to take the other side. I, I don't. I don't get like that. I just kind of. I, I kind of just maybe try and find teams that have been good to me in the past. That maybe do be a little contrarian. And the the other thing, and I kind of got got away from me a little bit last week. Uh, pick fewer games. Mm. Just your 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 percent your odds of you getting getting back. Maybe going two and one or three and one in three or four consecutive weeks are better than you going seven and two uh, over the course of a week. And that, that's one thing I felt bad about last week. I just want to pick in too many games that I and up. The, but then I go back and look and I'm like, well, Tulane led rice by 20. The Cincinnati Oklahoma state game was a, was a one score game in the, in the third quarter. Troy and Texas state was a, a one score game. And then these underdogs just got steamrolled in the fourth. So it was like, I kind of handicapped it right, and then it just got away in the end. So that—that's the difference between three and six, and six and three, right there. So that—that's that's the biggest thing. That's my takeaway when when you're running cold, is go back and look at the a the, the result, but the process of going to the through the result. I was on four games last week. Very easily could have gone. The other way so like the, the record is bad but the process and, and the handicap might not have been bad it might have been correct and I, I joke about this all the time right side wrong result ucla right side wrong result look at that box score and, and tell me how ucla shouldn't have covered so just keep confidence up go go through the process that you normally go through uh, these things typically have a way of kind of evening out a little bit in the end and uh yeah i'm gonna have to uh I'm gonna have to reach out to my man Steve now and, and do a uh, do a welfare check and make sure his first year on the show isn't uh, isn't going to be his last.
0: He's due. He's due. He's going to have a big weekend. It, it's coming. I, I can feel it. Uh, Bear, you're the best. Big new kickoff. Bear bets. Breeders Cup this weekend. It's a. Uh, I know it's a busy time in the in the Felipe. shoulder surgery coming up. My goodness, man, <laughs> you've, you've got it.
2: Flight 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 to Austin is going to be a very heavy uh, Breeders Cup handicap flight. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh to three hours or so in the air with about 50 pages of daily racing form uh, and scribbling down some things. That's one thing I'm actually very excited about this, we- this this year and this week. Typically on Breeders' Cup weekend, like I'd be leaving from game day to get on a plane with Kirk and go to an ABC game. Wi-Fi will be shoddy, and I wouldn't really be able to just settle in and lock in and handicap the Saturday Breeders' Cup card as we go along. I'm going to be sitting in Austin all day watching the Texas, Kansas State, watching these other games. And, and, oh, by the way, the laptop might be up with uh, with the Breeders' Cup action as well. So I, I am looking forward to having a great Breeders' Cup this year.
0: You, you deserve it, man. You deserve it. You, you love the ponies, and, and you're going to be all over that. I'm sure the, the tweet thread will just be yes, gobs of information. We'll look forward to that. Great stuff. Uh, appreciate it, man. We'll do it again soon.
2: Of course, but absolutely.
0: Lad of the week, Uh, before we do that, slight correction, Will, I beefed up Hmm. up a little bit. Yeah. Um, 2011, LSU Bama Game of the Century, you might have heard of it.
1: Yeah, I was there,
0: brother. That's right. Okay, I forgot about that. Jared Lee was the starter, technically. Technically, even though Jordan Jefferson played on the opening drive, he played the majority of the reps in that game, which means technically... No starting quarterback has won against Nick Saban at Alabama in consecutive years. So, my previous stat about Jaden trying to join the Jordan Jefferson Club—I
1: guess that's wrong. I would still basically say, like, all right, we—Jordan you know, Jefferson beat Alabama twice in a row. So, we could talk about who started the game. Jerry Lee was losing the game. We threw two picks. <laughs> so yes. Jefferson yes. came in with a loaded deck. He was—he was, he was <laughs> you know, what I'm saying, like, he had to do more to win that game.
0: Yeah. Look, I'm not one for QB wins stats. Um, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably, so I, I, cause I had before starting quarterback to beat Alabama in consecutive years. So I, that's, that's a murky area. Technically the last starting quarterback to beat Nick Saban in consecutive years was Drew Brees. Yeah. Drew Brees at Michigan. And that was when, um, Saban was obviously at Michigan state and Drew Brees was at Purdue. That came via Cruz Oxenrider on Twitter. Yep, shout out to Cruz. Um, so, hand up was technically a little bit tiny wrong about a stat that might have actually made you feel good as a Drew Brees fan.
1: Um, Connor, you're going to hate me for this, but under that tweet, a bunch of Florida fans said that Rex Grossman beat him twice in a row at LSU. That was in 2000 and 2001. I won't pretend to know that I that that happened. I beefed up again. All right. Okay. So but I don't know. I didn't have time to look at it. Up. I do, but I was like, hold on. Cause they were like, this that's wrong for two reasons, whatever, because somebody said, What about Jordan Jefferson? And then somebody was like, wait. So I don't know. At Alabama, it's certainly accurate. And LSU Nick Saban thought he would be a great NFL coach. So it's obviously a very different guy that we see today.
0: True. Okay, so let's just stay within the jurisdiction. Jay Daniels has a chance to become the first starting quarterback to beat Nick Saban, Alabama, in consecutive years. There we go. Yes. That's there it. we go.
1: And college football statisticians, if you guys want to just um, keep better stats, that would be awesome. I think that's a big thing that we fight about all the time or that we deal with all the time, fight with all the time, is like you try to find games from even like even like the 3-2 Mississippi State game. It's like you can't find a game. It's hard to find like game logs from like 10 years ago. So it's hard to find like who started games. But anyway.
0: Okay. Yeah. Just wanted that on record. We needed it, need it to be known. We're 100% accountable. It's what we do here on the show. Lad of the week. I already know who your Lad of the Week is. Please go off and go off like Tyler from Spartanburg.
1: <laughs> Tyler from Spartanburg. So my Lad of the Week is Dabo. So I've never spent a day of my life rooting for Dabo. just as if, uh, even when they played Alabama, I was kind of rooting for the SEC, as tough as that is, because I just, you know, he's he's kind of like Brian Kelly before he came to LSU. Everybody just kind of roots against him. I have never rooted for Dabo more than I did after he received that phone call the other day on his coach's show. I don't know how the producer did not shut that call down. This dude, first off, the version of that response that went viral is so disingenuous because it picks up from right when Dabo starts talking. If you heard the call, I want everybody who's heard this soundbite and not the call. Go back and listen to the call. What's up?
0: Trey had both. Trey Wallace, who had the initial tweet that went super viral, he did that initially. And then he also had the one after that had the full question because you're 100% right. The full question is very necessary because if you just hear Dabo's answer, you will probably have different perspective on what actually occurred. Or if you just read a couple of the comments and breakout quotes or, or whatever it is. So yes, I, I agree. Read, listen to it from start of question to end of Dabo response.
1: Yes. I mean, three words, this dude, Tyler from Spartanburg or whatever, calls this coach's show and says, he doesn't even have a question. He's just like, coach, you know, you really remind me of Tommy Bowden period. And then he's just like, you're making eleven and a half million and dollars. How can you justify that when you're four and four? Da, da, da. And I mean, throughout the coach of this two and a half minute thing, he said things that I wouldn't have said to Dan Mullen when I was a fan. I mean, a, a rival coach that had won nothing. I would not, as an LSU fan, call an adult human being and say, you're a fraud, you're a fail. He quoted a Bible verse, a Davo Sweeney. Like the amount of Dabo Sweeney, sorry, the amount of the things that he said that were personal attacks of Davo's character, that we talk about how football coaches don't never have to answer questions. This wasn't even a question. It wasn't even like, you know, your record in this kind of game, transfer portal. He goes through all of his on the field and like some of it was legitimate. That's the problem. Like some of the he answered he asked every question we've had of Dabo uh rudely in quick succession without giving him a chance to actually like respond. And I will give actually Dabo all the credit in the world because he was able to kind of come back around. Like he uh the, the caller says like yeah well, if you look at our ten on field coaches like seven of them are internal hires and like da, da 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 so Dabo starts talking and he eventually is just like cut this clown off dude like you can't talk to Any human being, like, Connor, if you were just, you know, if you were just hanging out on your porch and somebody just walked up and was like, you know what, Connor, you're a fraud, you're not from the South, and just started, like, listing all this random slander against you, like, you wouldn't be like, yeah, man, keep going, I want to hear this out, like, you'd be like, dude, like, you would at least walk inside, maybe you wouldn't shoot him a double bird and say f you, like I would, but you'd at least, like, Get out of the situation. He'd be like, dude, get on my lawn. like, I'm sick of you. Devo sat there patiently for two and a half minutes and let this dude, he called him. He was like, the, the caller goes, I'm going to games since you were a commercial real estate agent. To tell a coach that has taken your team from the dumpster and, you know, done all these great things two two and a half beat Alabama twice like the things that he has done will never be done again at Clemson they were never done previously they have a hundred year history of being mid plus at best Dabo Sweeney shows up and he's just like alright I'm going to turn this into an SEC program this tiny little school in, in South Carolina we're going to turn around we're going to get five star athletes we're going to get world, of class, for, uh, world of class practice facilities he was an interim coach it, he had everything stacked against him and that's what he said he was like listen here brother you know I've had more 10 win seasons in my you know couple of years here than we had in the previous 35 like that goes through it but the cool thing about it i hate to give dabo credit but he really i think you look great here if you listen to the question if you just listen to his answer he seems like angry dabo but if you it, like the way he composed himself he went through and said look you know tony elliott you would have laughed at me hiring tony elliott we won two national championships and he got head coaching job you know obviously man of color it's like the, 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 he went into how to you know why he did the things he did and he actually like um he actually, like, was pretty well represented and was able to go with the facts. He talked about his graduation rate, all this different stuff. So, yeah, again, as much as I want to jump on Dabo, as much as I want to say, oh, they're going to be below 500, ha, ha, ha. To be a Clemson fan and have the gall to call Dabo Sweeney and say, hey, brother, you're a fraud. Turn in your salary. was like, dude, what do you think? Dabo Sweeney doesn't deserve this for sure, Clemson. You're going to make him want to retire. You're going to make him want to leave you and see how bad things are going to be.
0: Did Dabo just have his Pam across the hot coals at beach day moment? I wonder. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I wonder. Look, I think if you are anti Dabo and you listen to this or maybe you cut it off at like two minutes, three minutes or something like that, you probably have your mind made up. And look, I don't think a lot of our opinions are going to change on people that that we know to be something in this sport and Dabo has been many things in this sport. Some of the points that were made in theory, if I had just written them in a column, I I don't think you could necessarily push back on. Like if I wrote in a column, like, yeah, Dabo has refused, has refused to adapt. He has made too many internal hires. Mm -hmm. He has embraced the transfer Mm -hmm. portal. I think there are certain things to fair that are fair to say within the right context, then there are certain things that you say when you question another man's salary. Don't question other person's money. That's yep. never that's never going to be the thing that sits well, even if it's someone who makes as much as Dabo does, and there are legitimate questions about how he's going to make good on that moving forward and if that's going to be a worthwhile investment, but I did find it very interesting to see how many people were actually like, you know what, Dabo's got a point. He's got a point to stand up for himself the way that he did. And while I don't necessarily think it's a great long-term sign that Dabo already feels the need to do this with Clemson fans at this point of his career, and like I, I don't think that bodes well for him finishing the decade at Clemson. We've talked about that and how he could have a, a, a different path in coaching than what we once thought. I think it was a great college football moment that we don't get in a lot of other sports, that kind of blatant, you know what? No, I'm going to put you in your place. And there are certain times where I don't like it. When I, when I hear Kirk Ferentz talk about how he likes the fact that he gets to wake up knowing that he doesn't live the life as a reporter. You're like, okay, did you need to say that? Did you really need to say that in this in this moment when you're being questioned about your decision making? And understandably so. And then there are other moments in which you're kind of like, you know what? No. I, I think a coach has a right to, to be able to, to defend himself. Dabo defend himself to the nth degree for sure. But what a what an all time Dabo Sweeney moment, man. I, I bet Lars Anderson in that book about him wishes he could add in something like that. Because if you've read that and you kind of understand the Dabo story. Even if you think some of the things that he says are are corny and he's better for a different era of college football, you understood exactly where he was coming from and why he was as passionate as he was. Unbelievable, though, man. Unbelievable.
1: Is that the best? Now, this is going to be a little bit of a wormhole. But like we've we've talked about, like um, like Samuel L. Jackson and how he's an artist with the curse word, right? Like he's a guy who can really just make you feel like an ant when he starts going at you, like in movies and stuff. This has got to be the sickest, like zero curse word because he said no, he a, hate, hate a, a couple a words bit. yeah he'd couple i a mean words, yeah but there's that you know it's not like he, he'd use the f word he'd use yet you know he he was he was kind of on the low he wasn't the high end of what he'll ever do but it wasn't a, a you know a classic like samuel jackson like mf da, 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 da. so i think in terms of like that like like because he had the he had the stats man like i'm looking through like a, a breakdown of this and he goes you know we won 11 games for the first time in, he, this is a good line. We lost, 20, we lost to Tennessee last year and they won 11 games the first time in like 20 years. We've had eight 11-win seasons in 11 years. We've won two national champions. Like, he's literally going, look at this Brad program over there and how big of a deal it was when they did that once and we did it eight times. And like, I love it when the guy, because you know Dabo probably sits up at night like defending himself to himself. And like, you saw all of that get like poured out on a sheet of paper. It's like when you have all this noise from Twitter and you finally have an outlet to finally just be like, look, here's what I've done. And again, I'm right there with you, dude. There's very fair questions of Dabo. A lot of those aren't weren't in there. And if they were, he kind of like, didn't present them in a way to get an answer. He was just like an angry fan going off after a loss. And it's like, dude, you don't even like Davo can stay there for 10 years and go eight and five. And I think that everyone would be kind of happy with that because they fear everyone would fear that what would be worse than that, which is where they were before him. I don't know. If
0: you would just ask the question, ask an actual question instead of just listing off all the things you're frustrated with by yeah. saying you did this, this, and this throughout the 2010s. How do you plan on adapting considering that the last three years have not lived up to the Clemson standard? If he had just said that, we're not talking about Tyler from Spartanburg. We're not. Right. Dabo is not responding in the way that he does either. But that was kind of the point that he tried to make. And instead, going into that much detail, it produced an answer that <laughs> nobody could have seen coming. Maybe Dabo didn't even see coming. because He yeah. went absolutely off. Mile out of the week. Will Levis. Dude was spinning it on Sunday. Titan fans, a lot of them didn't even want this guy. Got some Tennessee fans in there who probably had a little bit of a hard time rooting for Will Levis when he was signing on the dotted line. But everybody was clowning on him during the draft, during his fall. And all he does is step in and have one of the best rookie debuts ever. I mean, he was absolutely awesome. Four touchdown passes. Titans win a game that they had to have. He looked awesome doing it. And I know it's messed up the Titans are wearing the Oilers uniforms. But that aside, those are like as fresh as it possibly gets if we're being 100% honest. And I know like I I would be very frustrated if I was a fan from Houston, whatever. I just, I love that. I love that Will stood up for Malik Willis afterwards, talking about how it wasn't right for Titans fans to boo him. Agreed. You no, know, we should ever say anything negative about Malik Willis and if they do send them my way I'm perfectly fine also being in the pro Malik Willis camp I don't care if he doesn't throw another pass in the NFL I don't think Will is ever going to be all for everybody there are probably things that he will do that will frustrate people and even things within a game that he's going to do that are going to frustrate people but I think he has the traits to win over a locker room I do because I saw that happen in Kentucky and obviously he's only going to get that chance if his play warrants it as a starter. He's going to be starting again this week. We find out via Adam Schefter that Ryan Tannehill is out. More more of the the Will Levis experience is going to be exciting to see. But there are a ton of people that thought they would never see a game like that from Will Levis in the NFL. He did it in his first game. Those people, they were, needless to say, they were a little quiet on Sunday. Didn't, didn't hear a lot of that. Not a lot of the chirping. So good to see from Will Levis. Friend of the program. Somebody that's meant... A lot to the the you know at the Kentucky program overall and just was has a very interesting story and we'll have a very interesting story in the NFL it looks like.
1: I, I love this is an all time like lad of the week combo because Levis is so such a good example of a guy that like modern fully all of the non all the disbelief in him was created by modern social media slash news cycle dude went thirty third overall. You know, first pick of the second round, everybody acted like he's a bum. I, he was he acted like it was just never work. He acted like he's a fifth rounder. Oh, well, yeah, this guy. And he, I mean, he hadn't even really played. Like, that's the thing. So the fact that everyone, if you would poll America and they're like, hey, like, as well as like could be, could put, could play well in an NFL game, most people would be like, 80% would be like, no, the guy's a bum. Nobody wanted him in the first round. Yep. And you got to have, if this is like, one of the, my least favorite things about the modern media landscape is that every fan thinks they're like a genius. It's, and that's like, we talk about it all the time about how he would have liked to get that extra year in the contract. Everyone that's now taken this and they parried it everywhere. And they're like, well, that means nobody wanted him. That means he's trash. And it's like, no, dude, he went first pick of the second round. Like, plenty of great quarterbacks. Like, you know, Drew Brees was not a first rounder. You know what I'm saying? Like, so many great quarterbacks have not been first rounders. And so to think that he was just cooked. Dude, he went and showed everybody and what he knew was within him. Finally, got to prove that because everything about him has been jokes lately. And I hated it for him, given how cool his come up was you know
0: the vein that he has in his left bicep is also (laughs) the most substantial of any quarterback in human history that doesn't mean anything to this discussion but i noticed it especially i think it's really peaked since he's gotten to the nfl and like i don't know look guys guy is yoked not all quarterbacks are built like will levis but i was like dang did that vein in his left bicep get somehow even bigger because Dang, that, uh, that, that cat is uh, he is a, a different species than, than the rest of us, no doubt about it. Love mm-hmm. seeing him just ball on Sunday. Hope he balls again this Sunday. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday non South podcast, which is presented by Texas Beat. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at Sat Down South, at CJ Guerra, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.